Hello there, welcome to May Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny G, talking about UFC 285, Jones vs. Gone. The full card breakdown, one fight at a time. We'll start the prelims, work our way all the way up through the main card. We'll go over each fight, give you our pick to win. Some betting spots we like as well. Along the way, don't forget to subscribe to our Substack newsletter and to this channel. With that said, guys, let's jump into it. Here we go. All right, which should be the first fight in the card is going to be a lightweight battle. That's 155 pounders. The Argentina fighter, Esteban Rebovix, who was supposed to fight initially Kamala Kirk. There was a cancellation there. Kirk had to pull out. We'll talk about that. But we have the Rebovix versus Luik Ratzabov. You might recognize Luik Ratzabov if, if you're a PFL guy. He fought in the PFL for about two years and actually made the finals in 2000. And, is that 21? Yeah, about two years ago. It seems like yesterday. Anyway, before we get to the full breakdown here, Loic is the replacement fighter, and yet he's like a minus 250 favorite for the opening line. Very surprised. We like Esteban Rebovix to win this fight by decision. Before you hang up, <laughs> before you say we're crazy, we understand Esteban, perfect finish rate, all 11 wins by finish. We also understand he's the prohibitive underdog here. But when you peel back the layers of this breakdown, which we're going to do with you, you're going to find, I think what we find, is that number one, this fight, if anything, should be around to pick him. Really surprised either one's a big favorite. And then secondly, we can't overreact to Esteban's finishing ability pre-UFC. He's never finished anyone in the UFC. Yes, contender series, but that was against a okay fighter. Not surprised if a guy like him follows that very typical path of having a bunch of finishes pre-UFC, makes his UFC debut, and goes to decision. Loic has issues with cardio. We'll talk about it, but it's never been finished. And his fight... In the last fight at PFL, almost got finished by Roush Manfio, but held on. So we'll talk about it. Again, our pick is going to be Robovics to win the fight by decision. As for the basic information these two fighters, Loic Ratzaboff goes by the Jaguar Paw. He's 16-4-1 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. He's now based out of Florida, originally from Tajikistan. 31 years old, 5-8, high weight of 68-inch reach, and he's out of Killcliffe Fight Club, which is an amazing gym down in Florida. You might have heard of it. It is a powerhouse for mixed martial arts formerly known as Sanford MMA. As for Rebovics, who goes by El Gringo, he hails from Argentina, 11-0 overall, 26 years old in 10 months, so about to be 27, 5'10 in height with a 69-inch reach, so about a 2-inch height advantage and about a 1-inch reach advantage there for Esteban, not a big deal. He's out of Alpha Team. I imagine Alpha Team would probably be a gym down in Argentina. Those Argentina fighters are starting to make their way up here to the UFC, and more and more of those fighters are making their way uh, into top promotions. Good for them. All right, so as for the write-up these fighters, we like Robovics to win by a decision. That's our prediction. Esteban's an exciting prospect. He earned his way to the UFC by a knockout win, round one, I believe it was, on Contender Series just last year. Amazing knockout. Very exciting. Nothing lucky about it. He came into that fight 10-0 with all 10 wins by knockout and then got it done in Contender Series. So very exciting. He now steps into this fight with a perfect 11-0 record with all 11 wins by finish, 100% finish weight, right? He reminds me a little bit of Trevor Peak. Remember him last weekend? Trevor Peak came out and just like went, went at it with the uh, Spanish guy, Gonzalez, got a knockout. What he reminds me about him, about Peak, is that he throws with like really bad intentions. He throws punches as hard as he can. It leaves him off balance sometimes, but he throws punches hard. If he connects, it's a problem. He knows he has knockout power. He puts a lot into it, gets his hips the whole nine. So he reminds me of Trevor Peak. And if you know Trevor Peak, Peak is like a, I'm going to knock you out, finish you, but at the same time, I might get knocked out in the process. That does worry me a little bit with Esteban. 
when he does suffer his first loss, I think it's going to be a knockout. <laughs> that's the kind of way he's going to go out because that's the way he fights, you know? So, again, throws punches with a lot of heat, a lot of power. Now, Esteban originally was supposed to face Kamwala Kirk in this matchup, and then Kirk backed out. It's giving now his new opponent, Luke, about a two-week period of time, whereas Esteban's had a full camp. Esteban has good grappling, good, not great, good. He's, dis he's displayed good grappling skills in the past. He even has a few submissions, but again, lower-level opponents. He has KO power, obviously, 11 total finishes. Needs to be very careful, though. Throwing these big overhand rights and just whatever big punches he throws, it leaves him way off balance. He's open for a counter. Or if Loic wants to take him down early in the fight, that could be there. Very good footwork for Esteban. He's often fighting with a bounce in his step. He's circling, moving, and has the cardio to do that for all three rounds. Something that we'll talk about with Loic that's a bit of a concern. So when it comes to Esteban, good movement, good footwork, good cardio. He's there for all three rounds to be moving and not a stationary target. As for Loic, he's making his UFC debut, but he's not a typical debutante. This is a guy who's been around for a while. He fought for Eagle FC, which is Khabib's promotion. In his last fight, he fought for two years in the PFL. His last PFL, his last PFL fight, excuse me, 2021, was a finals matchup against Roush Manfio. Went to decision, five tough rounds, and he was that close to winning the million-dollar prize. Didn't get it. But his run in the PFL was interesting. Um, he actually had some ups and had some downs and ultimately ended up with a 4-4-1 record. That surprised me. I would have thought of Loic being more successful in the PFL. If the UFC is up here, right, and Bellator is like right here, and PFL somewhere like around here, that's not a good record in the PFL. Now with Loic, you see his name, you see the bearded strap, Tajikistan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, ah, Dagestan, Dagestani wrestler, right? No, no, we're not going to make that connection. He does have wrestling skills. But they're limited. He, some for some reason, doesn't go to it very often. I think he should do it more often. And once he gets tired, no bueno. No more wrestling. Out the window. So he does have wrestling ability, but he's not a Dagestani Khabib type. He's not going to do it for all three rounds. And he may not even do it at all, quite frankly. If he does get you down, like, for example, he took down Roush Mountfield, let's say, two, three times in that fight. Each time he took down Mountfield in that fight in the PFL, Mountfield just popped back up. So not good at keeping people down either. And that fight against Malfial, the biggest issue was he ran out of gas. I don't know how he survived the rest of the fight. It was a five-round fight. Mind you, that's a long time, 25 minutes. Round three, he was running out of gas. Round four, he almost got finished. He went the full distance because he's a tough-ass bastard. He's a tough dude, right? But bad cardio. Now, consider this situation we have here. He's coming in on about two weeks' notice. History of bad cardio. UFC, higher caliber of competition. Yeah, I know it's a debutante as well on the other side with Esteban. I know Esteban has not fought the competition that Loic has had. I know he's got less fights. All those things I understand. But we're not betting on people that have bad cardio. If anything, we're feeding them every day, twice on Sunday, and looking for some props here. So we're on Esteban to win. He's a dog. I get it. Not going to back the truck up to bet on him on the money line. But I'm just saying, we're definitely not taking Loic on the money line on the other side. That's just no way we're going to do it. Minus 250, no way. So though Loic is the better overall, not sorry, though Loic has the better strength of schedule and has the more experience, we just simply can't back him here. It's to our surprise that he's actually opening as a minus 250 favorite. That's a, a bit awkward. I will say that probably moves down quite a bit. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets priced down to, let me guess, minus 150 by the time the fight goes off. Yeah, that much of a movement because... Once people do film study and two-week notice and stuff, it's just not. Yeah, it's not there. The original matchup with Esteban versus Kirk had Esteban as a favorite. 
Now Loic steps in. Esteban's another sizable dog. Not really sure why that's going on. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Though I will acknowledge that Loic Radzaboff at his best is a very good fighter. Has more experience. Has the tools. Could win the fight. Could. Just don't see it happening. Ash, the betting spots we like here. The fight going over a round and a half. That's probably one of the best spots here because what's going to happen now when lines come out, the 11-0 record of a man Esteban with the 11 finishes is going to be, oh, finishing, 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 no distance. Yeah, man, this guy Loic is, he's Tajikistan born, very tough, very durable, and he took a shit kicking from Rash Manfio and did not go away. I can see the fight going over a round and a half. like that spot a lot. Now, if it's super chalky, we can't touch it. But if it's like minus 250, minus 300 range, I'm probably in that bad boy. Fight starts round three. Esteban by decision and fight goes the distance. Now, though Esteban has a 100% finish rate, Loic is a tough bastard, never been finished. And we've seen guys with perfect finish rates go to the UFC and doesn't translate right away. At least it doesn't happen for them the way it did out of the UFC. So I think that's going to happen here with Esteban where good cardio, good pace, good pressure, but can't quite knock out Loic. Last few notes of these two fighters for Loic. He's 31 out of Kilcliffe MMA, orthodox fighter from Tajikistan. Good experience, good finishing ability. Has finished three of his last six wins. More decisions than obviously Esteban, but still has finishing ability. And his wrestling is good. Just needs to use it more. Our concerns for Loic, two-week two week notice, poor cardio. Leg kicks. He got knocked down and, and somewhat bothered by leg kicks against Malfiao. That's not a big part of the game for Esteban, but leg kicks was an issue for Ratzaboff recent fights. Inconsistent, right? Ratzaboff was 4-4-1 his last nine fights in the PFL. I'm surprised. I would have thought he would have done better than that. And then boxing defense. Ratzaboff is very hittable. His arms are down low. He tends to fatigue. They go even lower. He blocks punches with his face. Not very good head movement. Never been finished. So for him, he's like, I can handle it, right? He might be playing with fire against Esteban, who's throwing with like tons of heat. You know what I'm saying? As for Esteban, 27 years old, out of Alpha Team, he's a switch dance fighter. They have him listed as a right-handed fighter, I think, on UFC's website uh, for stats, but he's actually a switch dance fighter. Will fight in the Orthodox, I'm sorry, or South, Southpaw stands for long periods of time. He's from Argentina. Impressive finish rate, good footwork. The issues for him are off balance for big strikes. Competition level has been questionable and never been to decision. We're predicting he's going to win by decision, but he's never done it before. So does he have the mentality? Does he have the mental focus? Does he have the fortitude to go five rounds, five, I mean, three full rounds, full distance, not doing anything stupid and win the fight? If he were, let's say, to have a close round two and then dominate round three, he could win that way. Rick, Luke's going to be better off in round one. Okay, round two. By round three, that's it. Luke's going to be done. If Lloyd cannot dominate round one and two for a decision win on the, on the, on the scorecards or finish Esteban round one, round two, round three is going to be a nightmare for him. That, that's, that's the way we see it. So we got a dog here, another dog here in the prelim card that we like a lot. We're going with Esteban Robovics to win by decision. That's your prediction, guys. Let's move on. All right, next fight up is going to be a bantamweight bout, 135 pounds between Farid Basharat, who goes by Ferocious out of Afghanistan, and Damon Blackshear, the American fighter. Before we get into the full breakdown, I'll tell you our pick right now. Let's get out of the way. We'd like Damon Blackshear to win the fight by decision. 
though I wouldn't rule out the chance of him possibly getting a submission. At this point, you're probably thinking, this guy is crazy. How is he cho choosing the guy who's a big underdog? Look, I think Fareed Bashrat's a very good fighter, a lot of good tools, and maybe even should be favored. But minus 410, that's flat-out lunacy. And at first, before I even did a deep dive in this fight, full disclosure, I was on Fareed Bashrat. I thought to myself, oh, yeah, he's the brother of Javid, and those guys are pretty good. Once we started tearing back the layers here, there's definitely a good opportunity for Damon Blackshear to win. And we're going to talk about his last fight and the draw against Zalal and how he didn't look good and almost got finished. We're going to talk about all that. But minus 410, like first, second fight, the prelim card for a guy who's making his UFC debut. You know, it's just it's just way, way too much. The money line reflects the public perception. Perception being the most important word. The perception is that Farid and Javi, their brothers from Afghanistan, are lightning bolts, undefeated, doing very good, and should just roll through middle-of-the-range competition like Damon Blackshear. We're going to talk more about this, and I think by the time this video is at least over for this breakdown, you'll at least agree the main line is completely unwarranted. Okay, basic information these two fighters, Fareed Bashrat is 9-0, undefeated. Obviously, 5-0 in his last five fights. Big favor here out of Afghanistan, now based out of England slash Las Vegas, because I know that he's maybe based out of England from living purposes, but he trains out of Extreme Couture. 25 years old, 5 foot 8 in height with a 71 inch reach. Height and reach wise, they're comparable. Blackshear's got a slight 2 inch height advantage. Reach wise, a 1 inch for Blackshear. I don't think it's going to be much of a factor. Demond's 12 4 1 overall, 4 0 oh, 1 in his last five fights, with that O oh being, I'm sorry, with that 1 being the draw against Zalal, which we'll talk about. He's the big underdog in this matchup out of North Carolina, 28 years old, 5 foot 10 in height with a 72 inch reach, and out of Team ROC. Okay. Try to make this short and sweet because I spent too much time researching this fight. And part of it was because each time I found a new clue, I dove deeper and deeper. And, it, you know, I think it came I think I came out of it with a newfound respect for Damon Blackshear. I will say that. Okay. We like Blackshear to win the fight. It's a 135-pound bantamweight bout. We like him by decision. But, but he has a chance for submissions here and we'll explain to you how. Now, Blackshear made his UFC debut last year in a thriller versus Yusuf Zadal. Yeah, I used the word thriller, I know. It was a back-and-forth fight. There was a moment in round two where you could see that Damon was about to get a submission, maybe, a naked choke. And then in round three, you know, Damon Blackshear kind of trails off and tires out, almost gets finished. So it was a back-and-forth thriller. And the last fight in the UFC for Yusuf Zalal, who was cut after that, he was on a three-fight losing streak, so kind of a bit rough run for him. So Damon had several good moments in his fight. It was not all bad for him. Round one, round two, commentators thought he won round one, round two. He's a solid overall fighter, very durable, never been finished in his entire career. 25 total fights between amateur and pro. Now, with that said, if you go to the last part of round three of that fight against Zalal, it's seconds away from being stopped. Referee is about to step in. If the fight goes on for another 30 seconds or so, Damon probably gets finished there by a TKO. That is a glaring issue. He completely ran out of gas, did not manage his cardio against a guy who now no longer is in the UFC and was on a losing streak. Just keeping that in mind. Now, Damon has faced good competition prior to the UFC. He went 1-0 in Bellator and 3-1 in CFFC. The only loss in CFFC was against Patrick Sabatini, current UFC fighter. His last three losses was against Chris Montino, who's on the Ultimate Fighter right now, against, obviously, Sabatini, who's in the UFC right now, and then against Sab Danny Sabatello, who's currently in Bellator and just fought for a title. So those are his last three losses, all by decision. Quality opponents. Prior to going pro, Damon went 7-1 as an amateur. With a win over UFC's Tony Gravely as an amateur, they rematched and then Gravely got the best of him in the rematch. There's a lot to like about Damon. What's most impressive about him is the submission ability. 
75% finish rate with all his finishes by submission. And almost every single one of them, I think, yes, every single one of them are of the neck variety. Like four or five of them are by rear naked choke, arm triangle choke, Darce choke, that type of thing. So he is attacking the neck. Not an arm bar guy, not a heel hook guy. He's going after your neck. Now, Demond's lack of endurance after his at the end of his last fight against Alal, that is the only glaring weakness. He's got pretty good striking. He's active with his lower leg kicks. Good grappler. He's balanced. Has a chin. He's durable. He checks a lot of boxes. Why is he plus three thirty in the spot? Because he 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 went to a draw against Lal. Is Lal just that bad? Why is he plus three thirty in the spot? Doesn't make any sense. He has two paths to victory. He could win round one, round two. Good striking. Chase a submission or two. And he can get a submission. Now, okay, I get it. I get it. I understand that Bashra is probably the overall better, higher volume technician. He's got some advantages. I get that. But this plus 330 line suggests that there's no way here for Blackshear to win, when in fact there is a way. Now, as for Bashra, he grew up in the war-torn region of the Middle East, Afghanistan specifically. And if you were hiding under a rock throughout the 90s and 2000s, that was a war zone. Actually, going back to the 80s, it's uh, it's been a proxy war zone between Russia, the commies, the demo, the, you know, the, the, the anti-commies. This man and his family grew up in a war-torn environment, have seen and been exposed to unimaginable tragedies. And so, put it in perspective, how fearful would he be of fighting another man in the cage after what he has seen people that are close to him go through in just tragedy after tragedy? Kind of like Ukraine. Amazov fought on Saturday night for Bellator. He took all that Ukrainian tragedy and him fighting for his country and all this emotion and just into one amazing performance. So from that perspective, the Bashra brothers do have this chip on their shoulder. They fight like that. It's their life, right? So him and his brother both are in the UFC. They both came through contender series over the last like year, year and a half. Now, Farid, this Farid, not Javid. Javid's the brother. This is Farid. Farid has good volume, fast hands, and good grappling. And though he fights similar to his brother Javid, they do have differences. Like, first of all, Javid fights at a higher pace. He's more forward pressure than Farid, the one we're talking about. And if you confuse the two and you think this is Javid fighting here, that's where the minus 410 comes into play. That was my thinking. I thought at first, oh, it's Javid. And Javid is, to me, right now, the better of the two. And that's common, right? You have brothers in all kinds of sports. There's Eli, Payton, comparisons all across the board. Usually, they have differences, not better or worse, differences. And so I think the pace and pressure of Javid, people are confusing that with Farid. Farid does have good pace and pressure, just not as much as his brother. It's a small difference there. Striking, Farid is not as active, not as quick with his strikes as Javid. Javid's a little bit sharper. Again, fighting style is similar. I'm peeling back little differences, splitting hairs here. But if I had to guess who's better right now, that would be Javid. Could people think, oh, it's Bashar Javid and just be betting the line thinking that it's his brother? Because I think that could be part of it. Just saying. Freed, Freed uses more of a measured approach, which will benefit Damon Blackshear. Damon Blackshear needs to manage his cardio, take his time, and he too likes to measure his opponent. So for both of them, early on, that benefits both their styles. Not too much forward pressure, see what they're going to do, measure their approach. Problem is, if Farid Basharat here is too patient, he might find himself behind in the scorecards. That's what happened to Zalal. Now, is he better than Zalal? Zalal? Yes, probably. But for Zalal, round one, round two, got behind the scorecards because he got backpacked by Damon and backpacked, peppered him up with a bunch of lower leg kicks, which is a good thing that Damon does. He will measure distance early on. When his cardio is full, peppering with kicks, front kicks, teep kicks, leg kicks. For Farid, he's also pretty active, but has to be careful, doesn't get behind on the scorecards. Now for Farid, impressive finish rate, 67%. Undefeated record, 
You don't get these two type of statistics after about nine, 10 fights, along with three or four amateur wins, unless you have high fighter IQ, good camp, you're training hard. At this point, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 fights in amateur included, there would have been a loss or two if this guy wasn't sharp. So he is sharp. He has a high motor and forces his opponents. This is probably the best thing he does. He forces people to fight his style. That is the way to be successful. It's kind of like a basketball team. Like I'm going to use an example from the eighties. Detroit Pistons were known as the bad boys, right? They forced people to fight ugly basketball and that's where they excelled. They weren't going to win games 135 to 125. They weren't going to out three point shoot you. They weren't going to out finesse you. I mean, you could argue that's one of the worst skilled teams in all of NBA championship history. But when you're talking about what they did well, they made you fight. They made you work their game plan. Fareed does that well. Every great fighter does that. They find a way to make you fight their game plan. And by the time it's too late, you realize I've spent two, three rounds fighting their style. I needed to fight my style and it's too late. For Fareed, that's the path to victory here. Force Damon to fight his style, right? High motor, uh, look good in his last few fights. If he can do this against Damon, if he can force him to fight his style, he won the fight by decision, I think. Now, both fighters have a clear path to victory. For Fareed, he needs to control the cage, push the pace, and test Damon's endurance, right? Clearly, Damon's endurance in his last fight was not good. For Damon, needs to attempt submissions and win the grappling exchanges. There will be grappling. As they say, there will be blood. There will be grappling here. Both guys enjoy grappling. Either way, this fight is destined to hit the ground. Most likely goes to the scorecards, and judges will decide who wins. Neither man has ever been finished. I think that stat stays the same. If you want to put a little sprinkle on, you know, Fareed round three, TKO, he wears out Damon and he finishes off what Yusuf Lazal almost did in that last fight. I ain't mad at you. It's probably juicy money too. So maybe a prop we'll even look at. But the betting spots we like the most of this fight are the fight going over two and a half rounds. The fight starting round three, Blackshear by decision and Blackshear by submission. We're going to also sprinkle the split decision props for both fighters because we can see the fight getting uber close. Gets to round three. Now, I'm probably in the, on an island here. Most people are going to say, oh, Fareed, early on the prelim card, I'm going to skate over it. That's it. And maybe he wins the fight. Maybe all this research we've done is for naught. But at plus 330 and minus 410, this is a trap waiting to happen. We're going to place some money behind my man, Blackshear. We're not going to go crazy with it. Of course, pay attention to our tip sheet, which comes out via our newsletter. If you haven't done so already, look down below here on YouTube. There's a link there for our newsletter. It's free. Full written write-up for all the breakdowns we talk about here on our channel, and also a full tip sheet days in advance before the actual fights go off. We are on a three-fight winning streak for UFC. That's three weekends in a row. Looking to go to our fourth weekend in a row. If you're looking to track our progress, that is also available through our newsletter. We track all of our bets, how we've done, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So for this fight here, we think it's a good chance for the dog to win. Now, before I let you guys go, I do want to go over our pros and cons real quick. Now, this document I'm going to read to you this is a Word document available on our Google Drive. Okay, if you have some time, let me explain this to you. Our Google Drive is a public available drive for everybody. The link is also down below. If you go to the Google Drive that we host there on, on Google, you can open the folder that says UFC 285. It'll be right there. In that folder, you're going to find the fight breakdown notes, the raw notes, our written notes for each fight breakdown. So for this fight breakdown for Reed Boschrott versus Damon Blackshear, I'm going to read through the breakdown of our notes, just notes. It's not a written up like nice in paragraph form, but it's pros and it's cons, it's pros, cons, and details for each fighter. That's available in that folder, along with an Excel sheet, which has a whole parameter of details, including a film library, comparisons, fighter details, age, gym, the whole nine. 
that is all there in that folder on our Google Drive. If you go down below, click that folder, open up that, 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 that folder in the Google Drive, you're gonna find a plethora of information, fighter note breakdowns, Excel sheet, film library, and then our tip sheet is there. The same tip sheet we published on our newsletter is also available on our Google Drive for each event that we break down. Okay, <sighs> got that off my chest. All right, so for our pros and cons for Fareed Bashrat, undefeated, 13 to know if you include the amateur career, high finish rate, six out of his nine wins are by finish, that's 67%. He came to the UFC through Dana White Contender Series. That's notable because you don't wanna be the guy getting a last minute call up to UFC. That's not the path to usually success early on. He earned his way through Contender Series. Southpaw, he can switch stances, but he can fight in a Southpaw stance. You do like that. Good wrestling, amateur record went 4-0, all positive things. What are our concerns here for Fareed? It is his UFC debut. He's done a lot of things in his life, accomplished a lot of goals, been through a lot of pressure, has you know been through a lot of personal pressure. It's still the debut, whereas his opponent has already debuted at least once. So we'll see how he responds to that pressure. And it's also in front of a live crowd, though it's early in the prelim card. For Farid, like his brother, they don't mind banging, dude. These Afghani kids, they don't mind taking one to give one. That's fine until he comes across a guy who gives him one. I don't think that's going to be DeMond, though. DeMond's not known for his KO power. doesn't have a single finish via KO, right? My other concern here for Farid, will finishing ability transfer over? It's a question for all these guys who come into the content, who come into UFC. Tons of finishes on their record. Same thing with DeMond. They come to UFC, er, finish rate goes down. So will the finish rate for Javid and for DeMond continue as they go into the UFC? For DeMond Blackshear, 28 years old, slightly older, he's a switch stance fighter. He should be able to adjust to whatever is going on there from Bashra. But Bashra, he also can move back and forth from both stances. We consider Demon Blackshear a balanced fighter, training out of Team ROC. When it comes to gyms, there is a benefit there to Farid. He's training at the better gym, Extreme Couture, compared to Team ROC for Demon Blackshear. Blackshear started wrestling in high school. He actually, in high school, said, I wanted to become a mixed martial artist. Went off the wrestling team as a way to get his skills together so when he went left out of high school, he could start going into mixed martial arts. Interesting. Had his, had his mind made up early on, right? Eight of his 12 career wins are by submission. He's won four of his last six fights by some type of a choke. <laughs> All eight of his submissions are via, are via some type of a choking method. High finish rate, 75%. Good competition. He went 1-0 in Bellator, 3-1 in CFFC before UFC. His only losses are against Pat Sabatini, UFC, Motino, Sabatini, Sabatello, all guys that are UFC or, or, or Bellator, good level competition. Now, he did lose a split decision to Keith Richardson, a name you don't recognize. That was a while ago. That was the only, only other loss. Very durable, 25 combined fights, never been finished. Amateur experience went 7-1, and one, active with his kicks, solid grappling, durable as we mentioned before. The concerns for him, we hit these already. The draw versus Zalal. Zalal was struggling in that point in his career. He's been cut by the UFC, and ultimately... That is driving part of the line, but we can't overreact to just one fight. It's just one fight. There were good things in that fight. If he doesn't run out of gas in round three, it's a big if, I know. He maybe wins the fight. <clears throat> anyway, still in search of his first UFC win. So they're both looking for their first UFC win from that standpoint. And then cardio is the last bit of concern that we have there for Blackshear. Needs to manage his cardio and his endurance. I can't tell you it was a big issue in past fights, but it was a huge issue in that fight. There's your breakdown, guys, for this first fight on the prelim card. Well, let me preface that. This may not be the first fight on the prelim card because they tend to shuffle things around. According to our schedule now, we're about a week and a half out. It is the first fight. That's your breakdown, guys. Bet with caution with this fight. You don't want to fuck up your entire bankroll with the first fight in the card type of thing. But I do like the underdog here. We'll find some ways to play it. Again, subscribe to our newsletter so you can get the full breakdown tip sheet of what we're doing on this fight card and hopefully trail us on our way to four 
weeks in a row with four winning UFC cards. All right, guys, let's move on. Moving up the card, next fight should be a strawweight battle. Female fight, 115 pounders, Jessica Penne and Tabitha Ricci. Ricci hails from Brazil and Penne is from California. Before we get into the breakdown, let me give you our picks to win. We like Ricci to win the fight by decision. Here's a fight where at first glance you're like, oh, Tabitha Ricci, 12 years younger, looked pretty good last, you know, fight or so, minus 230 favorite. Plug it into your parlay, set it and forget it, right? I'm, I'm not so sure. And I don't want to poo-poo on the Ricci train because we do like Ricci to win the fight. We are choosing her to win, right? This is the kind of fight that Penne wins. You see, this is the kind of fight where Penne does some shit where she backpacks Tabitha for two rounds and squeaks out a split decision win. So split decision props, we're looking at those. We're looking at over two and a half, that kind of thing. We'll break it down for you. We'll give you the whole details of why we feel that way. But if you want to skip forward in the video and you're satisfied with what I just said, that's our thinking. Ricci by decision, over two and a half. Fight starts round three, decision props. Split props. Now, if you want to go crazy hunting, Penne by submission, Ricci by TKO. Those would be some long shot props, which we'll talk about. All right, let's get into these details, these two fighters. So, give me a second here. I'm pulling up my, my windows. All right, so, strawweight bout, 115 pounds, Jessica Penne, 40 years old. And 40 is not the new 30, by the way, in this strawweight division. She is 40, and that is way past her prime. It's a factor. It may be the biggest factor up against Penny in this fight. She's 14 and 6 overall, 2 and 3 in her last 5 fights. A dog here sitting around plus 190 out of Laguna Hills, California. 5 foot 5 in height with 66, 66, 67, excuse me, inch reach. And she's 5'5, five, five, meaning she has about a 4 inch height advantage over Ricci. If you recall Ricci's last fight, well, not last fight, but her fight against Man and Fiorot, where Fiorot's like much taller, Ricci's not very tall. She's more shorter. Not stocky, I think stocky would be a wrong way of describing her, but she's just shorter, whereas Penne is much leaner and longer. So that four-inch height advantage, that's real. How will it play out to the advantage of Penne? It won't play out where it's like she's going to be leaning the more strikes and like being a better boxer. Like you see a five-inch reach advantage for Penne, you're thinking, oh, long range, right? No, no, no. Penne is a grappler. She has to grapple. That's her only way to get a win, position control. So the reach and height advantage for Penne is not something that's going to take advantage for, for her on the on the, on the the feet. It'll be on the ground, right? Penne trades out of Alliance and May. Very good gym. A lot of good training partners there. For Ricci, she goes by the Baby Shark. 7-1 overall. Very good record. 4-1 in her last five fights. She's a favorite here. Also out of California. 28 years old. We mentioned the height and reach already. She's out of Paragon Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Though I do want to say that I heard that Ricci's now training out of another gym. That would be in the States. So... I can't say which one that is, but according to Tapology, it says Paragon Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That, that could be outdated. Okay, looking at the write-up in these two fighters here. So we'd like Ricci to win by a decision. That's our prediction. We would not be dis surprised at all, though, if this fight goes to a split decision. Penne has splits all over her resume. It's just the way she fights. She tends to go to scorecards. It's greasy. Um, and some recent fights, when she fought uh, Godinez, such a weird fight, a fight where we had Godinez to win. Everyone did. And Godinez made some mistakes, allowed just enough of Penny to do what Penny does, and then flopita. Penny wins by a split decision. So that could be something to consider. That's a little bit of fuzz here in my microphone. I apologize. Okay. All right. So Penny is an aging veteran, hanging on to the last part of her UFC career. 
She had a, she had a good portion of her prime actually taken away from her due to a failed drug test. It's a very hard story to get wrapped up in, in a quick amount of time, but I'll just tell you this. She tested positive for a substance on multiple occasions, then got suspended for like four years. It got appealed and reduced to like 20 months and then whatever else, and she finally came back. Then there was like rumors that she was totally vindicated. I don't know. Nonetheless, a good part of her prime years of her career were sidetracked through this drug testing issue with uh, USADA. With that said, besides that part of her career, she's been a pretty accomplished grappler. She has four submission wins. She tends to flush at her opponents. She'll hang on them. She's like the female version of Jordan, the guy who just fought last weekend. What's that guy's name? Jordan, who does the twerking and shit like that. And all he pretty much does is grappling. That's like Penny. She'll frustrate you. She'll hang on your back. And then she'll get you a nice close decision. And then she'll find her way on the right side of a split decision. That's what she does. But at 40 years old, I mean, she is way past her prime. She's almost a decade and a few years older than Tabitha Ricci. That's just not a good situation. Those are not good numbers. <laughs> That's just numbers you can't overcome. She will need to take the fight to the ground. No question. Penny needs to get the ground control position. I can't see her submitting Ricci. She has four submission wins, yes, but I don't see her submitting Ricci. It's going to have to be her, you know, just holding on to Ricci, backpacking her, frustrating her. Not to mention, Penny has a negative striking ratio. She lands 2.62 strikes per minute, absorbs 4.74. Yeah, on the feet is not where she does her work. It's got to have to be on the ground. Look at her prior fights. There's a few links available on our Excel sheet that's on our Google Drive, which we'll talk about that again later on. You'll see her prior fights. She's She has to hang on you. That's her only way to win. The fight against Godinez was a very good example of that. Now, as for Tabitha Ricci, the baby shark. By the way, very attractive Tabitha Ricci, and she's got a nice physique. If you like the women that are, you know, got bumps in the right places, she's got a bump in the lower region. And just attractive, you know, a spry. Her tapology photo doesn't really do her full justice. And she is a fighter that at 20 years old, next four or five, six years, can make a splash, maybe not a champion, but make a splash in this division, be a popular fighter, make some money for herself. You know what I mean? You're good looking, got some ability, haven't taken a lot of damage, you're seven and one record, build that thing up to like, you know, 14 and two, 15 and three, get up there, maybe make a title run. That's what I foresee for Ricci. She has to get better in a few areas. Her striking also is a bit of an issue, which we're talking about. Anyway, Ricci is the prohibitive favorite. Favorite. We understand that. We agree she should be the favorite. We're just not as confident as the masses. You see, Ricci averages just four takedowns per fight. I like it, right? Four takedowns per fight. I shouldn't say she only averages. She averages four takedowns per fight. That's a good thing. Uh, compared to 1.39 for Penny, right? At the same time, she has a negative striking ratio, which we'll talk about. <laughs> With Penny only having 40% takedown defense, I imagine Ricci's going to have a lot of success taking down Penny. And then once she takes her down, it just keep Penny on her back, control her. A big mistake that Godinez made, because Godinez was able to like throw down Penny, but they wouldn't go into guard because she was scared about submissions and whatever else. I mean, wasted opportunities. The only loss on Ricci's resume was to Manon Firat. That fight was short notice, and Ricci was up a weight class. And if you look back at that fight, Ricci looked a complete weight class lower. Furat's already tall as it is, and Ricci had no chance. She got finished. It was a bold move for her to take the fight, just to get into the UFC, but she had no chance. And people who've watched that fight 
then you kind of looking at this fight thinking, oh, maybe she could lose. That was a whole different deal. Uh, please do not compare Jessica Penne to Manny Firat, right? Now, more importantly, Ricci was fighting up a weight class there. You got to understand, she was 125 pounder. She's a 115 pounder. She was oversized, overmatched, every way, shape, or form. Just throw that fight out. It was a bold move by her. <clears throat> now, Ricci has several obvious advantages in this matchup. She's quicker. She's stronger. I think she's more explosive. She's the better striker. A lot of advantages. But she also has a negative striking ratio. <laughs> you see, she absorbed almost five strikes per minute, even more than a girl from Penne here. And she lands 2.95. So both ladies are not amazing on the feet. And, and that is where we have a problem here because let's say, for example, the fight plays out on the feet for a period of time. Who's going to be better? They're both not very good on the feet. <laughs> So Ricci will have to take her down, control her, put her back to be sure of victory. I think on the feet, dangerous idea because neither one of them are very good. Now, if you're Penne, same thing. Like on the feet is a dangerous endeavor. So the fight is going to go to the ground at some point. That that would be our bull prediction. On the ground, a lot of grappling, even on the feet against the fence, that type of thing. We like Tabitha Ricci to win the fight. She's going to outperform Penne, we believe, on the feet and on the ground. She should have the striking advantages along with securing more position control time. That's the path to victory for Ricci. For Ricci. More control time on the feet, outperform her, more volume. Reimagine three takedowns for Ricci. Just three of them. One the first, one the second, one the third. Could easily secure the fight for her. It may not be exciting. Penne goes for a few arm bars from the bottom. Penny has a tendency of staying too long on her back at the bottom. Just one of her faults of being a grappler. So yeah, we like Ricci here to control the fight, land more strikes, get the fight to the ground, and stay on top. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the fight going over two and a half rounds, Ricci by decision. Because it's a female fight, and Penny's history of going to frequently going to split decisions, we have to play, split, we have to play the split decision props. We got to play it. We got to play both sides, right? So Ricci by split, and also Penny by split. Now, just a few more notes in these two fighters. I want to make sure I don't leave anything uncovered. So for Penny, she's 40 out of Alliance MMA. Grappler, lands 2.62. Strikes per minute, absorbs 4.74. 1.39 takedowns per three rounds. Surprising because Penny's a big grappler, but not good takedown offense. With a 40% takedown defense. To 20 total fights for Penny in her entire career. American fighter, good at grappling. Four submissions. She was an ultimate fighter 2014. That's good experience. Good competition. Our concerns for Penne, tons of split decisions. Those can go either way. She could very well be one in six in her last seven fights. She had two split decision wins in her last seven fights. <laughs> she could be one in six during that time frame. So she's barely hanging on. This could be it. We could be seeing the last fight for Penne in the UFC, whether she likes it or not. Negative striking ratio. Penny's one-dimensional, and of course her age. She's over a decade older than her opponent. As for Ricci, 20 years old, out of Paragon Jiu-Jitsu, kickboxing style, lands three strikes per minute, absorbs almost five. Terrible ratio, needs to fix that. Average fight time, 12 and a half minutes. Excuse me. Average is just under four takedowns per fight. That's so key here in this fight. She needs to execute takedowns, keep down Penny, keep Penny on her back. Easy path to victory. And for Ricci, 15 total fights. It says 7-1 and one on her record, but she had 8 other fights that were custom rules bouts. She has a little more experience than her record maybe shows you at first. 
Ricci, she's got 12-year younger advantage, right? Youth advantage. Very athletic. Decent experience. Uh, our concerns for Ricci, she's still new to the UFC, right? Only a few fights in the UFC compared to Penny, who fought, fought for a while right in the UFC, right? More experience. Also for Ricci, finishing ability, not great. And durability, she has been finished in her one loss as mixed martial arts fighter. She also got finished in the custom rules bout. So just putting it out there, you know, a little bit of concern there for her durability. Nonetheless, we like Ricci to win the fight. She should win. She's priced to win. But play this with caution. Like, don't, for example, I would not parlay Tabitha Ricci with a ton of confidence. We put her into maybe one or two parlays. We're going to play, if anything, play the distance props. You know, the over two and a half, the fight starting round three, even if it's chalky, parlay those pieces. Parlay that. You're going to be safe. You're better off. But parlaying Ricci at minus 230 or minus, two, or minus two anything, it looks good at first, and the fight starts off, and next thing you know, after round one, you've seen Penne backpack her for a round and not do anything, and you're sweating. And it's a female fight where it's hard to get knockouts. It's hard to change you know, uh, momentum. So for me, the best spots are going to be distance-related spots. We're likely to reach you to win the fight, though, most likely by decision, to outperform Penne on the ground. That's her path to victory. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. Right next fight in the car is going to be a bantamweight bout, 135 pounders, Mana Martinez against Cameron Samon. Before we get to the deep dive, let's give you the pick to win. We like Cameron Samon to win the fight by a round three knockout. Again, we like Cameron Samon, the South African, to win the fight in round three by a knockout. Mana Martinez is currently the underdog. Samon's minus 250. You got Cameron as the proverbial favorite, whereas Martinez, you can get him at round plus 210. After the details in these two guys, Mano Martinez is 10-3 and three overall, 4-1 in his last five fights, out of Tejas, about to be 27 years old, 5-10 in height with a 70-inch reach, so height and reach advantage is on the side of Martinez, about 2 inches in height, and roughly 3 inches in reach, that is notable. Martinez was at Gloria MMA Fitness, you may have heard about James Krause, there was a bit of a scandal there, and so unfortunately Mr. Martinez was one of the athletes that had to relocate. We can't under... Estimate what that may have been like if he was located there locally and sort of had roots in the ground and most of the athletes that were training under James Krause were very close to him. He was mentoring them financially, investments, the whole deal. So it must have been quite an uprooting for him to, you know, have to leave the same normal territory he was used to, right? Now for other guys like Moreno who was there, obviously more resources, but I believe Mano Martinez was more of a local kid. He was kind of like entrenched there. That's where he was hometown for him basically. So, uh, not hometown, but basically where he called home. So, that's that's a big of a, a notable point. We'll talk more about that. As for Cameron Simone, the South African fighter, he's 7-0. Very impressive, undefeated record. 22 years old, super young. A little bit undersized and height and reach compared to Mano Martinez, but well, he'll make up for that with just willpower, elbow grease, and youth, right? He trained out of Team CIT. Now, he is not a training partner of Dreykus Duplessis, but trains with him in that same category and part of the growing trend of mixed martial arts coming out of South Africa, not to be confused with like, for example, Northern Africa, Cameroon or Niger, other parts of the continent. It's a very big continent if you don't know. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the breakdown of these two fighters. Let's talk details. Martinez enters this bout off a split decision win in his last fight against Brennan Davis. Quite frankly, not a great resume builder because Brennan Davis... Tough dude, uh, somewhat durable, will give you a good fight, but 
I believe Cameron Stamen is a step over where Brandon Davis is at, is at right now. So that fight kind of gives me a little bit of a hint that Mono Martinez is going to have a hard time here. <laughs> now, prior to that fight, he lost it by decision to Ronnie Lawrence. Mono sports a 2-1 record in the UFC. Not a bad record for the UFC. Not by any means. If there's one thing you could take away from all three of his fights, he has a lot of heart. He'll go out on his sword. Whatever he lacks in skills, he makes up for in determination and just willpower, right? Unfortunately, we talked about before, he's been forced to change gyms. That does have an impact. I mean, how much so? I was a former athlete. I, I changed where I was training at at times, depending upon whether going to college, whatever else the case may be, and it is an adjustment. We're not even sure where he's training at now. If you probably scour the net, you could probably find out where, I would hope, at a mainstream gym, but still an adjustment. He fought twice last year, three times in 2021, so very active fighter, five fights in two years. He did win his UFC debut against Kennedy by decision. Very impressive to win your debut. And he had fought on Contender Series years ago. He lost, and then whatever, went back to the regional scene, got the call up, came back to the UFC, and got the win. He's never an easy out. He's the kind of guy where, again, you're going to have to beat the hell out of him and finish him to get him out of there. At least he's going to put on a good show whether he wins or loses. As for Samen, he represents, again, the growing mixed martial arts community of South Africa. Super young, only 20, 22 years old. Future is very bright for him. Now, at 22 years old, if you're listening to this right now, you're probably over 22 because you're the average mixed martial arts fan like myself. Remember when you were 22? All the dumb shit you would do and the, the poor decisions you would make. Whether you were disciplined or not, you just still made poor life choices. You were still learning, right? And so we do have to acknowledge at 22 years old, there's room for error. Put it that way. His finishing ability is very impressive. He finished his UFC debut and also finished his fighter uh, his fight on uh, Contender Series. So the guy's got legit finishing power. His striking is still developing, but for a young fighter, it looks to be like years beyond where he's at in real life. Like he he's striking like a young man who's been fighting for years in boxing. Very impressive. Very impressive. Six finishes in seven fights. So there you go. High finish rate. And this right here is a good matchup for him. You see, I like this matchup because Mana, at the very least, will trade with him. He's going to give him opportunities to counterpunch him. Mana's not going to run away and dance around the outside and avoid exchanges. No, Mana's going to try to stand and fight. And so the matchmaker's new right here. Either Samen gets another finish, most likely, right? Or if Samen gets finished, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a great fight. He's young enough, 22. He'll recover. He's fine. No big deal. But at 7-0, do you think the UFC wants him to drop a fight here? I mean, really? They knew we can give him a guy like Mana Martinez who's going to stand and bang and be reckless. Look at the striking numbers on Cameron Samen. Very positive striking ratio. Mana Martinez, not so much. One guy is much better at stand-up defense, Cameron Samen. Younger, but better at defense. Mana Martinez, he, fight, he fights like, you know, you just grabbed his, his girlfriend's ass. And he's just pissed off and emotional. He's not fighting technical and, and, and being set. He's fighting emotional. That's the perfect setup for a guy like Cameron Samen, who has knockout power, good counter punches. So I, I like the matchup for him. It's perfect, actually. <laughs> and I think trading with Mana, by the way, I think that's also risky. So in the, in the, in the side of Cameron Samen, even though we like him in this matchup, if he stands and trades with Mana Martinez the wrong way and exposes himself, he's also going to be in danger. Has to be careful of that. Again, 22, hasn't been knocked out full of piss and vinegar, thinking he can never be finished, be f never be finished. You know, that kind of confidence is inherent of a young man who has not been knocked out, who is undefeated. So from that standpoint, needs to be careful, you know, has to proceed with caution, still use good stand-up, good defensive tactics, 
and not just trading irresponsibly with Mano Martinez. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the fight going under two and a half rounds, a fight does not go the distance, and Saman in the money line as a parlay piece. Now, Saman currently sitting at minus 250. There's some value there. It's not way out of range. If you look at Mano Martinez's fight, I'll tell you this. You're going to see things that you're going to like. There's forward pressure. There's aggression. A lot of positive things. But there's a skill set gap here, and I believe that Cameron Saman is on the positive side of that skill set gap. Look at the striking numbers, for example. One guy has a better positive striking ratio. One guy has a higher finishing rate. So I think Cameron Saman gets the win. He's a hot prospect, and I believe the UFC gave him this matchup, a really good matchup, to test him, but test him a little bit. And for Mano Martinez, a win here, not surprised at all by that. He could get it done, but he's kind of up against it, against a young man who's got a very good skill set. And for Martinez, you know, he's got to reel it in. Can't get too crazy, <laughs> you know, can't get too aggressive, can't expose himself to any hard counters. Could we go to decision? Could that happen? Yes, but it's just very unlikely based upon how both fighters fight, their positives and negatives. And by the way, if you want the pros and cons on both fighters and the detailed notes of this breakdown and how we concluded this idea of Sammy winning the fight by round three KO, on our Google Drive, there's a link there down below in our YouTube description. You're going to find a Google Drive link there. Go to that Google Drive and you'll see a folder there which will have the Mana Martinez and Cameron Saman Word document full breakdown there in the folder that's titled UFC 285. So once again, the link is down below. Go to Google Drive, click that link, open up that window. You'll see there's going to be folders there. There'll be a folder titled UFC 285. Click the folder. You're going to see a, a document there. It says Mana Martinez versus Saman fight breakdown. The notes for that breakdown are all in there, along with an Excel sheet that has the film library, prior fights, what we studied, and how we concluded this analysis of Cameron Saman being the winner. So Saman, inside the distance, most likely round three. Wouldn't be surprised if it's earlier, but I'm thinking round three, a buildup of damage and eventually kind of making adjustments and then finding Martinez at some point. So that's your breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. Next up, we've got Ian Gary versus Kanan Song. Ian Gary is from Ireland and Kanan Song is from China. Before we get into the breakdown, we'll give you our pick to win. We'd like Ian Gary to win the fight by a second round knockout. That's our prediction. As for the details, Mr. Gary, who goes by the future, 10-0, undefeated, very impressive record. Again, based out of Ireland, he is uh, trying to uh, reincarnate some of those uh, initial early parts of his career, a la Conor McGregor. He's trying to be a lot like Conor. You'll hear the media and UFC commenting on fights and you know, referencing Conor McGregor, and he's hoping to invoke that kind of same spirit. But 10-0, undefeated, nice start to his career, 25 years old. Six foot three in height with a 74 inch reach and he trains out of Killcliffe FC. Very impressive gym down in Florida. As for Kanan Song, who goes by the Assassin, 19 and six overall, much more experienced, right? Obviously more than double the amount of fights. Big underdog though, he's plus 400. You got Gary sitting at like minus 550, minus 560, almost minus 600, depends on what book you're using. For Kanan Song, about to be 33 years old, seven to eight years, the elder of Mr. Gary. Now, Kanan Song is six foot in height with a 71 and a half inch reach. Decent size for the division. Problem is, Gary is 6'3 with a 74 inch reach. So, notable three inch reach advantage for Gary and about a two and a half inch height advantage. I'm sorry, two and a half inch reach for Gary and a three inch height advantage for Gary. For Kanan Song, he trains out of Tiger Muay Thai. As for the public votes on Tapology, looks like Mr. Gary is a big favorite, getting 95% of the votes. We agree. We like Gary to win the fight into the distance. For Gary, he represents the future of the UFC. 
He's part of the international growth of the UFC brand. It's second generation of Irish fighters. Obviously, you've got the Conor McGregor's, and here he's a young prospect coming out of the same country. He is what I would perceive as part of the future to the, up to the point where maybe they want to make him a title contender. I think the UFC is going to give him a lot of good fights, match him up with the right opponents to build his record up, and eventually slide him into an opportunity to be a title contender. Now, he has finished six of his first 10 fights. Nice finish rate. He's off to a 3-0 start in the UFC. Very impressive. Part of the UFC, he fought in Cage Warriors, a very good promotion. He will also have a significant height and reach advantage in this matchup, as we just talked about. The only small critique we have for him is that he has a finish rate that's high, right? About 60%. But then he's had three of his last four fights go to decision. So you see how that works? Early on, high finish rate, then fights higher competition. Finish rate goes down. Now, I think this matchup, though, he gets back to finishing his opponent. But again, finish rate has kind of dwindled recently, right? Three of his last four fights going to decision. Otherwise, there's a lot to like about this guy. He's tall. He's long. He's confident, but not arrogant. He fought in Florida, right? I think it was one of his recent fights. He fought in Florida, so outside the country. And the, the crowd was kind of mixed to him after the fight. But then he was like, let's go, Florida. You know, give it up. Then he started to chant like "Ole, ole, ole, ole," and the, and the crowd got into it. And so he's a he's a people's type of person. He wants the fans to get excited. He fights for the crowd, and uh, he's got that if factor. Put it that way, get the if factor. As for the song, listen, my man's up against it in this fight. It appears the UFC is literally putting him in the oven, slicing him up, cooking him, pouring the the nice sauce on top of him, and then serving him up to Ian Gary. He didn't fight at all last year. He does sport an impressive finish rate. Yes, he has four finishes in his last five wins. He also tends to get finished when he loses his fights. And he's almost double the amount of UFC experience. That part is also impressive, going to his eighth UFC fight versus the fourth fight for Gary. On the flip side, Song has several glaring weaknesses. Number one, his ground game is non-existent. Zero takedowns in his entire UFC experience. He's also very hittable. Absorbs 4.37 strikes per minute. If Gary's hitting him at 4.37 strikes per minute, this fight will end by round two. That's what we say by round two, if not in round one. Not to mention he's giving up a few inches now in reach, right? So Gary's going to be able to touch him from distance. If you watch the fight with Max Griffin versus uh, uh, Song here, one punch, man. <laughs> it was a one-punch knockout, a right hand that Song was like he was looking at it. It was coming, like, coming to his face. He was just like, Never moved his head, no side-to-side -side movement, got knocked out. So he's very hittable. Song hasn't fought in over a year. Gary is an active, undefeated young prospect. Let me say it again. Song hasn't fought in over a year. <laughs> and Gary's an undefeated prospect from Ireland The UFC is excited about. It's clear and obvious what's going on here. UFC is handing him an opportunity to pad his record test him a little bit, but not too much. Song is going to hit the pavement and get knocked out. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the fight not going the distance, under two and a half rounds, and Ian by TKO. We don't have numbers yet for those props. Those props are not available and are priced yet. But if you subscribe to our newsletter, the link's down below, you'll have our full tip sheet for all of our bets for UFC 285. It's free. It's comprehensive, detailed stats, even more stats than what I'm telling you right now. It's all in our newsletter. So subscribe to our newsletter. The link's down below. You'll have access to our full bet tip sheet. We've won three weekends in a row now for UFC plus money. It's all documented through our newsletter. You can see our bet tip sheet, what we do 
pre-event and then also post-event we post our results for each event in our newsletter. Anyway, subscribe to the newsletter, get details. Let's keep it going, guys. All right, moving over to the card. Next fight's gonna be a middleweight bout. Julian Marquez goes by the Cuban Missile Crisis versus Mark andre Barriut. Before I even get started here, this fight is a probably better idea of just passing from a betting perspective. Watch the fight, enjoy the fight, you know, reel it all in. But from a betting perspective, oh, my nightmare. Um, <laughs> it's liable anything happens here. And most likely the fight does not go the distance. Something will happen between those three rounds. Someone's going to fuck it up, give it up, and find their way on their back. Um, not sure who's going to be. We're going to go with Mark andre Barrio to win the fight into the distance. Not confident. For those who like Julian Marquez, we get it. He's the better fighter when he's fresh. He's the better fighter probably in round one. He probably wins round one. But man, I, I, I wonder about his round two, round three. He gets sloppy. Uh, cardio. You know, cardio... It's not that he has bad cardio, it's he gets really sloppy when he gets tired, and that concerns me. I'm going to bore you guys with the base on these two fighters. You guys know the information on them. Their records are available on Tapology. I'm going to jump right into the actual breakdown of these two guys just to move forward, and also due to time constraints, I'm running out of time this week on these breakdowns. So we like Mark Andre, Mark Andre Barrio to win the fight. It's at the distance. That's plus 130. Nice spot. For Marquez, he comes to this fight off a first-round knockout loss to Rodriguez last summer. Not a bad loss. Listen, Rodriguez is a tough dude, even though he just came up short in his last fight. Good fighter, a lot of power. They went back and forth. It was a matter of either one guy had a drop and just happened to be Marquez. Marquez has good finishing ability. His last seven wins have been via finish. Three submissions and four TKOs, so he's an equal opportunity finisher. You like that? Now, one of Julian's most likely paths to victory is an early knockout. He has the power to get it done, and Barrio's chin is very questionable, so that opportunity will be there. Now, unfortunately, Julian tends to fade after round one, we mentioned before, that's our concern, cardio. If Julian cannot get Barrio out of there, let's say the first round and a half, the people who are holding his tickets, I'm telling you, it's going to be stressful. It's going to be greasy. Now, for Barrio, also entering this fight off of a loss, so both guys coming here looking to get back on the winning streak, right? He was submitted in round three of his last fight. Now, one of his biggest, one of our biggest concerns about Mr. Barrio is his durability, right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to look at his topology and see that he gets finished. He's been finished now in two of his last three fights. Not a good look. He has been displaying finishing ability himself, though he can finish people. He's got that ability. Four of his last five wins have been by finish. Now, that leads us to, 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 to conclude that either he gets to finish or he gets finished himself. That was the idea of us going under two and a half here. If I does not go to distance. Anyway, this fight will most likely mark a situation where we get into round two and we know where we're at. One guy's going to be ahead. One guy will be tired. This will mark Barrio's 10th fight in the UFC. Pretty impressive. He's 3-5-1, and one, though, in the UFC. That is not a good look. He's obviously been inconsistent. That's his Achilles heel. We like Barrio to survive the early attacks of Marquez here. So early on, yes, Marquez will look good. If Marquez lands that right, like, nuclear shot, okay, he wins the fight. Barrio's on his back. It's over. If he doesn't, yeah, now we have ourselves a different fight. And I believe that at that point, Barriut, the Canadian, will find a way to outlast Marquez and find himself a way to win the fight. You know, fatigue makes a coward of all of us, as I say, right, in sports. So at this point in this fight, our biggest concern for Marquez is, again, the fatigue. The betting spots we like the most of this fight are the fight going under two and a half rounds at minus 200. The fight does not go the distance at minus 300. Marquez by round one KO and Barrio into the distance at plus 130. That's your breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. Let's keep it moving now. Flyweight bout, 125 pounders, females, both Brazilian, Vivian Arajo versus Amanda Ribas. Give me the pick real quick to get out of the way. We like 
on Roger to win the fight by decision at plus 175. It's a great spot. Her wrestling is probably what we think is going to win the day. Both fighters are very good. Amanda Rebus is probably the better striker. But Arajo is really strong in the clinch. Has done well getting clipped, getting hurt, and still wrestling. We think her wrestling will win the day and put Amanda down enough for at least two of the three rounds to win the fight by decision. I'm going to spare you guys the particulars right now because we are dealing with time constraints. I'm going to jump right into the actual breakdown these two fighters going over our notes here. So Arajo by decision. That's our prediction. Arajo is a wrestler with good striking. At times, she can be a bit hittable, needs to improve her stand-up defense, has limited head movement. She averages just over two takedowns per fight, and that's critical here because if she can get Amanda down two times, just two rounds, keep her down for a while, that could be enough. Arajo needs to execute a few takedowns in her fight to win, period. That's part of her game plan. A stand-up battle for Arajo is a losing battle for her. On the feet, negative striking ratio, landing 4.82 strikes per minute, absorbing 5.33. Whether her ratio is negative or positive, 5.33 is way too much to be absorbing, so clearly her game needs to be on the ground. She needs to avoid prolonged periods of time on the feet with Rebus. Rebus has good technical striking, better than Araju. She'll beat her there. As for Rebus, has good takedown defense, 85%. Now, that will be tested in this fight. She's had trouble getting off of her back at times and kind of like accepting that position from her, from her back. Rebus should have the advantage on the feet. Her output is similar to Araju, but her defense is much better, landing 4.46. Strikes from a minute, but absorbing only 2.57. Much better ratio. Rebus has quality wins over Mackenzie Dern, Virna Jadernova. She has a very respectable record in the UFC at 5-2. And, and though she isn't known for her finishing ability, she does have three submission wins and one knockout on her resume. Rebus has been finished in a few, a few times, so durability is a bit of a concern for her. But her biggest focus right now needs to be on defending the takedowns, making the fight on the feet. But there's a lot of reasons to like Rebus. We're worried about her spending too much time on her back, getting taken down, Accepting position, trying to chase submissions. Araja is a strong wrestler. Overall, Araja seems to be the stronger person, like just more muscles, right? She's powerful in the clinch, has no problem picking up her opponents. I've seen her pick up people and just throw them down. It's not common in a female fight. Because of her wrestling ability, we're leaning towards Araja to win the fight by decision. The spots we like from a betting perspective are the fight going over two and a half rounds at minus 275. The fight starts round three at minus 300, and Araja by decision at plus 175. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's the card's going to be Dreykus Duplessis, the South African, versus Derek Brunson, the American. Duplessis is his favorite right now, minus 240. Got Brunson at plus 200. A little bit of surprise. You know, Brunson, active on social media. You guys know him. Been around for a while. Hasn't fought though in over a year. A little bit of surprise hasn't been more active. As for Duplessis, he is the flavor of the month. South African, won his first UFC fights, looking pretty good. We like him to win the fight inside the distance to eventually find the chink in the armor for Brunson and get the win. We're not going to go over the details of these fights, like the, the numbers and the and the uh, the records. You guys can look that up on Tapology. It's available for you. And not to mention, we are also behind on the schedule this week, so we're trying to make up for our time constraints. For Dreykus, South African prospect, a lot of upside. His finish rate is exceptional. 17 of his 18 wins have been by finish. He kicked the, he kicked the mess out of Darren Till recently and beat Darren Till by a finish. Unfortunately, Darren Till has now since been cut. What we like the most about Mr. Duplessis is that he can be very noticeable in his improvements. Like fight to fight, you see the improvements. You see he's getting better. He's more comfortable. He comes in with more confidence. His first fight or two, he was a little jittery. Now he expects to win. The only concern we have about him is actually durability. He has been finished now in both of his defeats. Two losses, both of them being finished. Brunson will be his toughest test to date, thus far at least. Now for him, look, Duplessis is a very talented fighter. We, we like him. Nothing not to like about him. But the fact is he's gotten some pretty, you know, 
convenient opponent so far. And guys were short notice type of thing, smaller. It's been convenient. Even Derek Brunson out for a year, kind of convenient. We're going to find out what Dragons is about, not this fight, but in a fight or two ahead of this fight. Catch my drift. Now for Brunson, very good wrestling. We'll definitely be able to see his wrestling early on. He likes to bring the fight up close and personal, drag it to the ground. If he can secure a body lock early on, the fight goes to the ground early on. The problem is, does he have the cardio to keep it up? Can he keep wrestling, Dracus? Can he keep, keep keep it in close the whole, to- whole time? I don't think so. Dracus has good footwork. You know, he's he's a high fight IQ. He'll measure distance. He'll find a way to separate. His grappling's not bad. Derek Brunson has to get takedowns. He averages, he averages 3.23 takedowns per fight. That's impressive, but he has to get takedowns here to get a win. If not, he's in trouble. For Brunson, he has two finishes so far in his last three fights. That's impressive. You like that? Two of his last three fights, he finished them. And a lot more cage time than Dreykus. That also is a plus for him. He's faced also better competition than Dreykus. That's also a plus for him as well. At the same time, Brunson tends to come up short against good competition. So he's fought a better schedule, yes, but he lost against Adesanya, Whitaker, Anderson Silva, Romero, Sosa twice. So yeah, good competition, but he also comes up short in those fights, right? We're leaning towards Dreykus for two reasons. First, He's a younger fighter by 10 years. That's a big one for us. Much younger, more, much more spry, right? Secondly, Dreykus is much more active than Brunson. Brunson has fought one fight the last year and a half. You got Dreykus here with his third fight in the last year. So one guy is being active. He's fighting a lot, moving up the ranks. And one guy is like slowing down, about to be 40. Yeah, who do I want? The young prospect who's moving up the ladder. A lot of momentum, all right? The spots you like from a betting perspective are the fight knock with a distance, minus 200. Dreykus inside the distance at minus 110, and the fight starts round two at minus 215. That's your breakdown, guys. Good with this fight. And we have the last fight in the premium card, the Bantamweight bout. 135 pounders. We've got Cody Garbrandt, who goes by No Love, versus Trevin Jones, who goes by Five Star. And let me tell you right now, we're torn here in this fight. We're picking Garbrandt to win the Garbrandt, Cody, to win the fight into the distance. That's our pick. But, you know, it's so hard to get behind a guy who's got the record that he's had in the last four or five, six fights. It's been rough for him. The chin, it's a big question. Trevin Jones, though, he's like, you know, hold my beer, dude. I'm just as inconsistent as you are. A tough fight to call. I wouldn't get too heavily invested in this fight. You know, take a step back, maybe just get a beer, pour a new flesh, fresh glass of wine, just step back and allow it to unfold because anything's possible here. Anything's possible. <laughs> All right, so Garbrandt's at minus 165. He's the flight favorite over Trevin Jones at plus 140. A weight bout. We like Garbrandt to win the fight. Into the distance, that's plus 120. That's our prediction. Now, full disclosure, again, we're very much cautious of this fight. We're not going to invest too much at all. We may not even bet anything here because uh, a lot of volatility. For Cody, he has had a roller coaster career. The guy is the former UFC champion. Yeah, he was a former champ, Bantamweight division, if you don't know. He's also been a coach on Ultimate Fighter. He's been around. He had a commercial back in the day with Bruce Buffer, which is awesome. He's just uh, a well-known name. He's now hanging on to the last of his career, though. He's one in six in his last seven fights. One in six in his last seven. Yeah, that's bad. It's not good. Not a good number. It's the worst stretch of his career. And he's getting older. Now, in his defense, he has fought competition during that stretch. He fought guys like Kaikara France, Rob Font, and Dillashaw. Good fighters. He's not been the same guy, though, since 2017. Since TJ knocked him out in 2017, he's just not been that same guy. Now, prior to that, Cody had never been knocked, dropped before. He had never been knocked out. Since that knockout, he's also been knocked out three additional times. You know, so not a good look. His numbers for striking, not the best stat. Lands 3.16 per minute, absorbs 4.22. Should 
Shocking for a former champion, right? As for Trevin Jones, he comes to this fight also on a three-fight losing streak. <laughs> so shouldn't this be the perfect antidote for Cody to get back on the winning streak, right? Get back into winning column. His last two wins for Trevin Jones, or his last win was two years ago versus Mario Batista. That was the last win for Trevin Jones. Yeah, the guy's on a rough streak. And just like his opponent, Jones has a negative striking ratio too. So both guys are like, hit me, baby, hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And and just, yeah, not a good ratio. Trevin has shown flashes of submission ability. So maybe a, a, a club and sub is available for Trevin Jones. For betting perspective, we like this fight knock on distance. Minus 250, that's pretty much, that's a, that's a no-brainer, right? Parlay that. Cody by knockout, plus 120. Jones inside the distance at plus 300. That covers either submission or knockout of Cody. They're all good spots. For those who like Jones, yeah, inside the distance is a great play, man. Plus 300, Cody has no chin. But Cody, I think he's, I think he's got himself figured out. He knows what he can do and what he cannot do. As you get older, you start to figure out your limitations. I think he knows he cannot take a punch. He's got to fight in a better fashion. Has to be intelligent. Needs to, to fight a, a slower pace in round one. Take a take a, a feather out of the cap of Mr. Arlovsky, the heavyweight guy for UFC, who's been around forever, right? Arlovsky doesn't really try to fight. He's just trying to survive. You know, just hang in there for three rounds, whatever. Go judge a scorecard, see what happens. Got a big name. If it gets bad, he just taps out. I'm done. Garbrandt, take my advice. Take a chill, back up for three rounds, mess around, a little touchy-feely, whatever, and uh, get a win on the scorecards. That would be ideal. It's probably not going to happen, though. <laughs> At some point, someone's going to hit the canvas, and I'm just hoping our predictions right here will let Cody to win the fight. Inside the distance at plus 120. That's our spot. Next on the card is going to be Jamie Pickett. Oh, my gosh. Plus 850 versus Bo Nickel at minus 1400. This is a nightmare of a, a line. And for no reason should Bo Nickel be minus 1400. This is just absurd. You have to bet on Jamie Pickett. You have to do it. You cannot bet on Bo Nickel. And if you're parlaying Bo Nickel, God bless you. I hope it works out. But what value does that actually bring? I mean, just to say you had that leg cash, I don't know. I would not take Bo Nickel here on the money line. Into the distance, by submission, by KO, around prop, okay. But not in the money line. <laughs> Middleweight bout, 185 pounders. Nickel inside the distance at minus 100 is our prediction. We like Nickel to win the fight into the distance at some point. Most likely probably round one. So take that prop round one to be a good spot. For Bo, this will be a short and sweet breakdown, guys. Bo is one of the biggest names to ever come out of amateurism. UFC loves him. He fought a contender series twice. He demolished both opponents. Uh, Dana put him into the video game after the second fight. It was all planned ahead of time. So when he, he won his second fight in contender series. They they announced that night he actually was on the video game. And it's like, oh my gosh, a guy who's on contender series in the video game gives you an idea of how invested the UFC is in, in him. They're going to give him a, 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 a just a plethora of people who can just demolish, like Jamie Pickett. They're going to set him up. And maybe like two, three years from now, he'll have a 20-0 and 0 record, right? And he'll be contending for a title. That's the plan with him. Pad it up. A bunch of people like Jamie Pickett who can fight. Not a bad fighter, but he can beat the fuck out of them, submit them, do it early, get him out of there. That's what the UFC is doing right now. So to me, this fight is about finding the spot. Finding the spot. And the spot most likely for me is just the inside spot. Into the distance at minus 400. Just parlay that and just call it a day. 
And also for Pickett, <laughs> bet on Pickett to win because you know what? Any given Sunday, anything's possible here. For Pickett, he's a good fighter. Unfortunately, he's facing an elite wrestler that the UFC loves. They want him to win. Now, Pickett's path to victory has to be pretty simple here. Either a fluke injury, right? Fluke, fluke injury or a lucky punch. I mean, look, Pickett by TKO is plus 1,800. I want some of that action here. So plus 1,800 for Pickett by a knockout. We could all get knocked out, man. The wrong punch, the wrong angle, just some weird elbow, whatever. I'll play that spot. I'm going to parlay, though. Bo is at the distance at minus 400. The fight going under a round and a half is minus 245. I like that, too, because I believe within a round and a half, he gets rid of Pickett here. I'll probably parlay that spot as well. It's a weird fight, guys. I, I do like Bo Nickel. I think Jamie Pickett's a pretty good fighter, but clearly the setup is there. Bo Nickel's winning the fight. I'm going to say round one by submission. There it is, guys. All right, Matuz Gamrot at minus 170, favorite versus Jalen Turner at plus 145. We got a fight at a lightweight bout, 155 pounds. We like Jalen Turner to win the fight into the distance, which is plus 275. And quite frankly, surprised that he's a dog. I like Gamrot. He's the better wrestler, wrestling takedown. We got all that. But Jalen Turner, the tarantula, this dude's pretty legit, man. Long frame, good everywhere. Not great everywhere, but good everywhere. Like him quite a bit in this fight. For Gamrot, comes to this fight off a tough decision loss to Dariush, which you can, you know, give him a pass on that one. Dariush is a pretty good fighter. He be probably challenging for a fight of this, challenging for a title at point, some point this year. It's not a bad loss. Now, Gamrot likes to utilize wrestling. 4.66 takedowns per fight. There it is right there. Five takedowns per fight. That's five takedowns per 15 minutes. The guy's trying to take you down. On the ground, good ground and pound, good submission ability. He'll try to finish you there. Now, Gamrot will have a noticeable size disadvantage during this fight. In this matchup, at least. He'll have about a seven-inch reach disadvantage. That's crazy. Seven inches now for, for the tarantula. A lot of range. Don't get me wrong. Now, Gamrot's going to look to close you know, distance and you know make it squash it up, make it ugly. But at range, we know his advantage right there, right? For Jalen Turner, he's in search of his sixth win in a row. Like six wins in a row, good winning streak. Finishes in all 13 of his pro bouts. So what? All 13 pro finishes? All 13 wins by finish? He's a finisher. You got that point. He secured a submission finish in three of his last four fights. So how did he finish you? He's going to submit you. Tarantula. Like, get him on your neck. Choke you out. On the feet, Jalen has a physical advantage and also the technical advantage. Better striker. Jalen lands 6.48 strikes per minute. <laughs> That's pretty impressive no matter what weight class you're looking at. Up to now, Jalen has faced average competition. Okay, opponents. I would say Jamie Malarkey is his biggest win to date. And it'll be both fighters are also southpaws. So no issue with you know stands or guys stepping on their feet. Both southpaws. The fighter that's able to execute their game plan will probably win the fight. So for Gamrot, if you can wrestle him, bring him down, control him, he wins. For Jalen Turner, keep it on the feet, stay at range, maybe backpack him a little bit. We like Jalen here a lot, man. This guy's a live dog in the spot. Now, if Gamrot wins and gets a wrestling you know, win because he's holding position, okay. Nothing wrong with that. But Turner's the future, and Gamrot's the pass. We like Turner here a lot to win the fight. Now, from a banging perspective... The betting spots we like the most of this fight are the under two and a half rounds at minus 150. Fight the not the distance at minus 180. And Gamrot by decision at plus 240. Along with Turner into the distance at plus 275. There's a lot there. Let me read that, read that back to you guys. So under two and a half rounds at minus 150. Fight not going the distance at minus 180. And Gamrot by decision at plus 240. Along with Turner into the distance at plus 275. That's your breakdown, guys. Look with this fight. 
Next up, we have a welterweight bout, 170-pounders, Jeff Neal, the American fighter versus Shavkat Rachmanov from Kazakhstan. Before we get into the breakdown, let me give you the pick to win. We like Shavkat by a round two submission. That is our prediction. We're probably sitting on the same side of the fence as most people. Shavkat is a big favorite, about minus 500 right now currently. You can get Neal at plus 400. It's really just about finding the right prop here to get some return because at minus 500, you can parlay it. It's minimal return, and obviously, if there's a mistake and Shavkat finishes uh, somehow on his back and loses, you're kind of screwed, right? But we'll find a few props here that make some sense, some props that can cover you on both sides. But we do agree Shavkat should win. We see it by a round two submission. Okay, some details in these two fighters. Jeff Neal's 15-4 and four overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. Out of Dallas, Texas, 32 years old. 5'11 in height with a 75-inch reach. He's out of Fortis MMA. As for Shavkat, 16-0. and 0 undefeated very impressive right also undefeated like three or four no now in the ufc so or four no in the ufc has gotten it done but has had a very favorable schedule which we'll talk about 28 years old so guys are both you know around 30 years old very similar in age six foot one though for shafkat so about two inches taller than jeff neal not a big difference but shafkat will be the bigger guy right he'll look bigger and a 77 inch reach for shafkat about two inches longer than jeff neal Shavkat trains out of Dar Pro Team Kazakhstan and Niels out of Fortis May. All right, looking at the write-up of these two fighters here. So Shavkat by round two submission is our prediction. Niels a quality fighter with a balanced skill set. His recent fight over Luke is an example of that. Luke is a pretty good fighter. Vincent de Luque, last fight, he got the win there and finished him. So the most important detail about Neil is the fact that he has 85% takedown defense. That number will either hold tight, improve, or go down. I'm going to go towards it going down. I think at some point in this fight, he's on his back, unfortunately. And so 85% take on defense looks good now pre-fight. It's going to be tested. Neil's only shot at winning this fight is keeping on the feet. That's the only way he's going to win this fight, at least for two of the three rounds, right? On the feet, Neil's a good boxer. He's got legit power. Matter of fact, he's finished eight of his last 10 fights by TKO. So consider that. <laughs> Neil also has been very durable throughout his career he's been finished twice but last time was like over six years ago so he's been very durable you can make an argument here that he has enough to get through two and a half maybe three rounds with Shavkat it's not a five-round fight right Neil in our opinion has two paths to victory the least resistance one the easiest one is going to be you guessed it just a knockout you're like oh I did knock out this guy he's knocked out people before he's knocked them out in round one he's got power Neil's got legit hands if Shavkat or anyone makes a mistake in front of him and he catches them, they're going out. So that is a possible path to victory. Maybe round one prop there for Neil by knockout should be something you should consider. <laughs> the second path in my mind is like a back and forth war that's reminiscent of the Gilbert Burns versus Kamzat Shemaev fight last year where everyone thought pre-fight Kamzat was going to just run through him. It would be super easy. And next thing you know, we get just this war an exciting fight could we get that could jeff neal drop shavkat like two times throughout the fight we we see shavkat finally get tested and neal wins a crazy decision yes gilbert burns and and cosmo akamzat shamayev went to decision it's wild to think about it of course everyone in the world had the under under everything fight not go the distance it was like minus 500 <laughs> but anyway that would be the second path to victory, where we get a back and forth battle. We see some durability tested, but both guys are just able to recover, and Neil comes out on the positive side. From a marketing standpoint, from a UFC 
that standpoint, you do want Shavkat to win. 16-0 is nice. Keep building up that record. Just saying. Neil's going to be hard-pressed to win a fight in the ground. So let's just get this out the way real quickly. He cannot win the fight in the ground with this guy. On the ground, Shavkat... He's Khabib-esque. He's just a damn problem. He's going to suffocate you. Neil cannot spend time on the ground. He needs to defend takedowns like it's, you know, like he's walking on glass or when you're a kid walking on the sidewalk and, the, and you have the cracks in the sidewalk, you don't want to walk in the cracks, step in the crack, breaks your mom back, that type of thing. That's how his takedown defense has to be. <laughs> he cannot get taken down. As for Shavkat, this dude is an absolute animal. A matter of fact, he actually wears an animal, like a fur type of thing, on his damn head during the face-offs and entry to the octagon. and what? Yeah, he's a fucking animal, this guy. He averages 2.31 takedowns per fight with 100% takedown defense. So not only does he defend all the takedowns against him, he's taking your ass down at least two of the three rounds in the fight. Yeah, that's, that's rough to deal with because once you're down with him, he doesn't let you back up. His takedown numbers would be higher if you can get up, but you can't get up when he, when he gets you down. His striking numbers look pedestrian, but see, hold, hold up now. See, 2.54 strikes landed per minute, absorbing 1.39. So you're not hitting him very much. He's not hitting you very much. You know why? He's working on choking your ass. He's too busy working on submitting you. So he's got a low striking amount of numbers coming out, which that's, you know, understandable. His first two UFC opponents, though, they've been cut since, since, since that time. His UFC record thus far has been convenient. And this is my only critique of Shavkat. My only one. Only one. He's fought a convenient record. He submitted, for example, Magny in his last fight. Well, Magny's been submitted in two of his last three MMA fights and also got submitted in a grappling bout recently. So it's not like he did something against Magny that's, you know, unbelievable. His toughest opponent to date is probably Carlston Harris. And I like Carlston Harris. He's actually a very good fighter. Other than his loss to... Comes I'm to uh, Shavkat here. He had a, like what nine, eight, nine of his last ten fights. He's won. So good fighter. He's actually fighting pretty soon. But the reality is that Shavkat's toughest competition to date has been Carlson Harris. He hasn't really been tested. So UFC's giving him fights to help him build him up. This is not the next step. Neil's the next step up, right? He has size, speed, power, and technique, and he may be better in all those areas over Neil. It's highly unlikely he drops the ball in this fight. We were very high on him winning. But at minus 500, we've approached the danger zone now. Now we've approached the, 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 the area of like, eh, 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 back up. Don't over parlay it. Definitely don't play it straight up. And you must look for props that make some sense to get some return because minus 500 just gives you nothing, right? The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the fight starts round number two. The over one and a half rounds. Fight does not go the distance. And Shavkat into the distance. And one more. Neil by knockout. Neil has a lot of knockouts. I think eight of his last ten wins, right, have been by knockout. The guy's got power. Everyone is susceptible to getting knocked out. The wrong punch catches you. You know, you're not ready. Uppercut, whatever the case may be. So I like that Neil by knockout. And I would even say Neil by knockout, like in round. Pick a round. <laughs> pick a round. The, the, it's going to be really plus money there. But again, the props we like here for this fight are the over one and a half rounds. Fight starts round number two. Fight does not go the distance. No distance here, right? And Shav kind of the distance. And then, of course, we're going to sprinkle Neil by KO somewhere. That's your breakdown, guys. Nothing you probably haven't heard. Most people are on Shavkat. It's about finding your prop that makes some sense. And again, heed our warning. Do not over parlay him. 
at minus 500, you're just not getting a ton of value there, and you're better off finding a different piece for your parlay that gives you a little more return. So let's move on. Moving our way up to the co-main event, we've got Valentina Shevchenko defending her belt against Alexa Grasso. And of course, Shevchenko has been the title holder now since 2020-ish, I believe. Has seven total defenses of her title. Very impressive. Looking to defend her title again for the eighth time in this matchup. We'll go over the full breakdown for you, but we'll give you the pick right now to get out of the way. We like Shevchenko to win the fight inside the distance. That's lined at around minus 125. That's one way to bet on her in this fight to get a better return than this minus... Whatever it is, minus 620, minus 600, minus 610, whatever it's at right now, I would not advise parlaying her at that price. Just don't do it to yourself. There's not much return anyway. If you really want to bet on her, that minus 125 is at the distance, I think, is the play. All right. Let me also tell you this. Before I even get to this full breakdown of this fight, I wanted to find a reason to like Grasso. I did. I was like, I got to find a way that Grasso could win this fight. Big underdog. We saw some chinks in the armor in Valentina's last fight where she won by split decision. Maybe Grasso could, you know, no. <laughs> I found myself at the end of this breakdown having to surrender or, you know, give up to the reality that I think Grasso has only one in a million chance to win this fight. You know, I'm talking very lucky circumstance, like maybe an injury or something just totally fluky happening, which can happen. It's a fight. But Valentina is better than Grasso in every category as we're going to go over here. So Valentina goes by the bullet. 23-3 and three overall, currently the champion out of Kyrgyzstan, and now fighting out of Lima, Peru, according to Tapology. You know, what I do know about her is probably if you follow her on Instagram, she travels all over the world, Valentina. Her sister as well. Her sister's a pilot and also a fighter in the UFC as well, but she's a well-traveled, you know, just well-traveled, put it this way. She has done some training at Tiger Muay Thai. She does training wherever she's at. She may even have a crew with her that, you know, helps her keep active while she's traveling. She's a woman that's very busy traveling around the world, doing a lot of stuff, and she has even ventures outside of mixed martial arts and political stuff, whatever else case may be. So Lima, Peru, that's what's on Tapology. Not really sure where she's based out of right now. She's about to be 35 years old. She's 34 years old at 11 months and three weeks. Five, five and a half for Shevchenko. So is Grasso. And reach-wise, about the same. About 65 and a half inches for Shevchenko and 66 for Grasso. For fighter Jim, we have Lobo Jim MMA for Alexa Grasso. And again, Tiger Muay Thai for Shevchenko. But I'm not sure how accurate that is. As for Tapology, of course, almost everyone is coming in with votes for Shevchenko at 93% compared to 7% for Grasso. We get it. We get it. I mean, Shevchenko is the champion for a reason. Very good fighter. And like we said, we think she's better in just about every area. Now, we like her into the distance. This will be a big matchup for Grasso. And the first time I believe she's going to be in a five-round fight. So, you know, there's a lot going on there for Valentina. She's one of the most decorated female mixed martial artists of our, our lifetime. We think of her in the UFC only, but before she ever stepped foot into a cage, she accomplished a plethora of different things. Uh, she's been awarded a lot of different accolades, put it this way. Everything from international master of sport uh, in her country to multiple kickboxing, Muay Thai, Taekwondo titles. She fought something like 90 kickboxing and Muay Thai fights before she ever even got into mixed martial arts. Yeah, 90, 9 0. So very accomplished, has been around the world. She's held this title since 2020, the one that she currently has, and this will be her eighth title defense in a row. Her last fight, Tala Santos, she won by a split decision. And we finally found a little bit of the chink in the armor there for Shevchenko. And here's what it is. It's not grappling. She's a good grappler. It's elite, elite grappling. When she faces someone who's a very good grappler, 
that'll be how she goes down one day. Now, striking, it's not going to be with striking. Valentina is such a good striker. She's so, could she get caught? Of course. But her background's in Muay Thai kickboxing. Her striking is on point. But we saw with Telesantos Santos, that was the one area where you can maybe control her on the ground, get some position control, find maybe some submission attempts. And so Valentina survived the fight, got the win by a split decision. Based upon my humble opinion, thought she lost. A lot of people thought she lost. <laughs> but I guess, you know, when you have the resume that she does and you've earned the, kind of built up the goodwill, you get the bump on the scorecards that she did in the last fight. But what we did learn, though, is her small weakness there. For this fight, not an issue, though, because Grosso averages like 0.45 takedowns per fight, not very active on the ground. So Valentina should even have an edge if it goes to the ground, if anything. Valentina is elite in just about every category. Great cardio, knockout power, excellent wrestling, and elite defense. In almost every comparison with Val Valentina compared to Grosso, Valentina has the edge. As for Grosso, she enters this fight looking for her fifth win in a row. She has not lost a fight since 2019, about four years. That, that's awesome. Very nice. A good striker with solid volume. Lands 5.14 strikes per minute, so very good output. She's also younger. This is the one advantage she has here. There's only one. She's younger by about six years. Shevchenko is far from too old. It's not that Shevchenko's over the hill. But about to be 35, I, I'm going to tell you now, I would guesstimate she loses some time in the next year and a half to two years. And partially because the whole system of fighters catching up and getting better, but just because 35 is not prime for this division, flyweight, small, lighter division. And frankly, she's been battle-tested, been fighting for a long time. It starts to build up over the course of your career. I think at this point, she's about to approach that, you know, those twilight zone. And she'll get clipped at some point in the next year or two. Maybe not clipped, but exposed. It's not going to be this fight, though. <laughs> okay, not going to be this one. Grasso at 29 does have a six-year, though, slight youth advantage. Grasso at 29 is stepping into her prime years, where, like I said, I think that uh, Shevchenko's on the edge of that, right? This could be a win-win situation, though, for Grasso. A loss may not be a complete loss. Let's say it goes the full distance five rounds, and Grasso is competitive. She gets five-round championship experience with the best in the world, shows that she can hang, because, listen, Shevchenko finishes people. Finishes, she's finished, what, four of her last seven fights. Of her seven title defenses, Shevchenko's finished the, her opponent four times. So to get out of here by decision would be a kind of a win-win for Grasso. Doesn't get too busted up, maybe. Wins a round or two. Keeps it close. And then she's young enough at 29. Get another shot at the title. Maybe in two years from now. Maybe a year from now. Maybe whoever beats Shevchenko, she fights her at some point. So for Grasso, this is a win-win situation. Now, if she was to actually win the fight, let me tell you this right now. Mexico is a fighting nation. They love their boxing. Right now, they've become a little more to mixed martial arts. I think even the UFC has invested in a PI down there in Mexico. And of course, we know that Brandon Moreno was the first ever Mexican champion in the UFC. Mexican-born champion. Let me rephrase that. I believe that we've had champions in UFC who had Mexican lineage, but no one had been born in Mexico before who had held the belt. And Moreno was the first one. Now we know that, of course, Yair Rodriguez is currently holding the interim belt. And so we have kind of one and a half current Mexican champions in the UFC. First time ever. If somehow Grasso were to win, dude, <laughs> there would be three current Mexican champions in the UFC. Never has happened before. And quite frankly, I don't know how many countries would be able to say that. I mean, of course, the United States has had multiple champions and maybe Russia. But wow, Mexico would be ablaze. <laughs> it would be MMA fandom all over the place in Mexico. So consider that if Grasso were to win, wow, it would be exciting. It would make history. Now, Grasso is going to have a hard time with takedown defense. You see, she's got 64% takedown defense, and that's against the average fighter she's fighting. 
So not against Shevchenko. Shevchenko will be able to get the fight to the ground when she wants to. I think at first she might want to measure distance, get some strikes, see how she does there. But if she decides to get the fight to the ground, it should be there. Now, Grasso is absorbing also 4.02 strikes per minute. We said before, good volume. She's got good output, right? 5.14 per minute, good output. But absorbing 4.02 strikes per minute with Valentina Shevchenko in front of you is not recommended for your health. It's going to be a problem. If she does that, she's going to get cut up and maybe even hurt. So on the feet, I feel like Valentina might shred her apart. I think in clinch scenarios against defense, Grasso has more of a chance to survive and take less damage, hopefully not get you know, too busted up there. And then in grappling, you know, I do think Shevchenko has an advantage, but Grasso at least has a shot to hold on, do some things. Now, what's the ideal fight plan for Grasso? Here it is. Get on her bicycle, circle away from the threats, and defend takedowns. In an ideal world, she does those three things. If she does those three things, stays on the feet, circles away from the damage, and, and avoids dangerous scenarios on the feet, can circle. It's a, it's a big, big octagon, big cage, and two small fighters. If you do that, it might be boring at times, you might, oh, booing, whatever. Just survive, sweetheart. Just survive the fight. If she does that, she has a chance. Now, keep in mind, Grasso has little to no finishing ability. So if you're thinking, well, what if she just catches Shevchenko? I mean, everyone can get caught. But for Grasso, she has one finish in her last 12 fights. It's just really not in her, not in her, not her style. So we can kind of put that aside. The chance of a one-punch knockout is probably not likely. I mentioned before I started this breakdown, prior to starting the breakdown, I really wanted to find a reasonable path to victory for Agrasso. I'm Hispanic. I'm from Latin America. I'm, you know, my, my cousin's in Mexico. Maybe they can get a third belt. Unfortunately, we're just forced to accept the, the reality that she's overmatched in this fight. I don't think that Grasso's taking this fight and it's like um, a bad fight for her to take or she's not ready for it. I think she is ready for this fight. It's just that she's not ready to beat Shevchenko. Put it that way. She's ready for the experience, yes. I just don't see her beating Shevchenko. The betting spots we like for the most for this fight are, and let me start off by saying this, do not parlay Shevchenko. It just add up your parlay, put it in, take it out, look at the difference, it's just not much there. Now, if you're a heavy player, like I'm betting like two grand, three grand a spot, whatever, I'm, okay, it's gonna make a, a little bit of a difference in your parlay, I got it. But why? <laughs> don't do it, just why? If anything, if you wanna be aggressive here, you know, we got some spots here for, for you to consider. The value is limited on, the, on that money line at minus 610, right? Minus 610, minus 650, maybe even grows to minus 700. We're going to take a look at the fight into the distance for Shevchenko. That's sitting at minus 130. The fight not going the distance is also sitting at minus 130. Covers you both ways in case Grosso does something. The fight starting round two is minus 300. I think we get to round two, right? Hopefully at least to round two. It's a nice parlay spot. And because it's female MMA, Grasso goes to a lot of decisions, and Valentina did go to a split in her last fight. We're going to sprinkle the split decision props for both fighters. Valentina's currently sitting at plus 750. Eh, whatever. But Grasso's at plus 1930. <laughs> now, that'll move around a bit. If you can lock in that split decision prop for Grasso early on, around plus 2,000, I mean, do the math on that. You know what I mean? $10 bet, <laughs> 200 bucks. You know, It's just, it's got to be played. We'll sprinkle those split, those split props. But the spot we liked the most of this fight, we talked about early on, was Shevchenko into the distance at minus 130. And I guess this is fight, not with the distance, is also minus 130. You might as well just play that because it covers you both ways just in case maybe there's a freak injury for Shevchenko. That's our breakdown, boys and girls, for this fight. And again, as a reminder, if you want to see our raw notes for this breakdown, the pros and the cons for each fighter. And a matter of fact, for Shevchenko, we did a very detailed like background, her accolades. That's all available on our Google Drive. 
Go to the folder for UFC 285 and open up the Word document for Shevchenko versus Grosso. You'll see all the information there on our pros and cons for both fighters, fighter stats, striking numbers, wrestling numbers, so on and so on. Let's move on to the card, guys. Thank you. And the moment you've all been waiting for, the main event for UFC 285. John Jones in the heavyweight clash with Cyril Gaon for the interim, I'm sorry, interim, the vacant title that was left behind by Mr. Francis Ngannou. Tons of drama here. We could probably talk about this fight for two hours. There's tons to go over. We'll try to keep it short and sweet so we're not too long-winded. We'll give you our pick right now to get out the way. We like Cyril Gaon to win the fight in a very boring decision. He outvolumes John Jones, stays at distance, stays away from danger, and does what Cyril Gaon does. We'll talk about that more, but that's our pick, Cyril Gaon, by decision. I believe that's somewhere in the plus 250 or plus 300 range. We'll go over when we get to that point in the breakdown. All right, so vacant title on the line that was left open by Francis Ngannou when he walked away from the UFC, or they mutually parted ways. John Bon Jones coming in here 26-1 and with his one loss really being not a loss. We'll talk about that later. He's 4-0-1 in his last five fights, hasn't fought since 2020. It's been a while now, out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, 35 years old, 6'4", so is Cyril Gaon. So that's one thing about John Jones. I remember him being tall, and I thought Cyril Gaon would be taller, but they're both 6'4", so height-wise, there's no real advantage. Now, reach-wise, John Jones has about a 3.5 reach advantage at 84.5 inches compared to 81 for Cyril Gaon. That, again, was a bit of a surprise. I just thought of Cyril Gaon in every way, shape, or form being more of the naturally bigger guy. But anyway, it is what it is. In terms of uh, Mr. Gaon, he's 32 years old in 10 months, so about to be 33, almost in the same wheelhouse age-wise. And Cyril Gaon is 11-1 overall, the only loss being, again, last year when he held the interim belt and faced Ngano to unify the belt and lost by a decision. He's 4-1 in his last five fights. He hails out of France. And he's got six foot four in height. 81 inch reach, we talked about that. He's out of MMA Factory. And for John Jones... He was at Jackson Wink MMA. I just don't know if that's the same place he's training at now. If you do know, feel free to comment down below and correct us. As for the votes on Tapology, John Jones is getting 58% of the votes, where 42% are coming in for gone. Makes sense. Makes sense. I think at first glance, we like John Jones too. But once you kind of look a little bit deeper into this fight, I think you're going to find some obvious points that we're going to help highlight for you and wipe away the emotions. Because I think a lot of the money coming in on John Jones is emotional money. People are betting with their proverbial heart instead of their head. And so that's leaning towards John Jones, the John Jones of old. And yeah, we'll get into that in a second. Let's go over our written breakdown for you guys real quick. So Cyril gone by decision is the prediction. We're days away from this much anticipated clash. The drama of Francis Ngannou walking away. Right, so he walks away, leaves the title completely open as the heavyweight champion of the world. I mean, has that ever happened in UFC? No, hasn't. So now we have this vacant title, John Jones getting dropped off after a three-year break coming into this title fight, and against Gon, who right now Gon, the pressure's on him because he had a chance last year. You know, he talked a big game. He was former training partners with Ngannou. Ngannou talked a lot of shit to him pre-fight, and he ultimately just couldn't stop the wrestling and got tired. We're going to talk about that. He definitely, he definitely got tired of that fight against Ngannou. Okay. So John Jones is arguably one of the best of all time. Even if he never came back from his long retirement or wherever this was, hiatus, he's one of the best of all time. He's an elite striker, and he can submit anyone who makes a mistake with him on the ground. I mean, his ground game, very, very impressive. He's got a wrestling background, of course, state, like state champion, junior college national champion, was at junior college at Iowa Central Community College with um, the likes of Colby Covington. <laughs> It's kind of funny, right? Small world. His only loss was due to an illegal strike from a down elbow. Frankly, 
it wasn't really appropriately called because after the fight, even Dana White and the opponent who supposedly got illegally striked, they also contested and said, no, it was okay. Nonetheless, that's his one blemish on his resume. He's never actually been beaten. Now, Jones Tabology, his resume is going to show you some names like Daniel Cormier, Mauricio Rua, uh, uh, Thiago Santos, Glover Teixeira, <laughs> Machida, Belfort, Rashad Evans, Rampage Jackson. He's fought the people that you know and recognize as the legends of the sport. He's fought all of them. And some of them he fought when they were more, a little more closer to their prime. They were still effective. So he's fought the best of the best. When it comes to resumes, his resume definitely is much more impressive than Cyril Gaon. And that's why people argue John Jones may be one of the best that ever did it. Because not only did he win pretty much every fight, should have had, should be 27-0, he beat some of the best in the process. Now, he has beaten whoever the UFC put in front of him. And here we go again back from now a long wait. They're putting Gaon in front of him. If history serves us correctly, he probably handles his business. If, if history, that's a long time ago, right? We suggest the circumstances here are way different. Here is out on this. Jones hasn't fought since 2020. Okay. I'm not a mathematician, but February of 2020. Now we're in March, 2023. That is over three years. We can argue he hasn't faced a good opponent in about eight years. If you go back and look at his topology, you know, the Anthony Smiths, those guys like that. Eh, okay. Whatever. But 2015, he fought Daniel Cormier, an aging Cormier, but still beat him by decision. That's probably his last bona fide good win eight years ago. <clears throat> it isn't as if John Jones is coming back and then warming up a few fights, right? He should, in my opinion, fight one or two fights, get himself acclimated, and then go in there and snatch the title away from Gone. That, to me, would be perfect. I'm not John Jones. I'm not his management or his agent, and I'm not his advisors. And heck, who am I to advise him on what to do? Because he's he's been through it all, right? If he drops this fight and looks rusty, like, oh, he just needed another fight in his belt, <laughs> everyone's going to be saying that. It's a three-year layoff. You're coming into a title fight against a guy who's very active. I, I just, that's a little bit of a concern for me. I think fans are expecting John Jones to jump back into this fight and be like on the treadmill running full speed, just like he was three years ago. I like John Jones too. John Jones is one of the best that ever did it, but that's still a very long amount of time. It's not as if during that time he's just been laying back, relaxing in the Bahamas, you know, raising a family or training in Siberia somewhere and working on his craft. No, he's been dealing with legal troubles and stress related issues. He's, he's had two belts stripped from him over the course of his career. He's had some things going on. It hasn't been squeaky clean. I'm not one to judge him. People make mistakes. I'm just saying this is not a three-year sabbatical by his choice where he was training, getting better the entire time. Now, has he done some healing spiritually, mentally? Of course. I, I believe he's in the right place. And now he returns to the UFC in a spot again where I feel like the fans are expecting him to drop on the ground and be just like he was before. And I don't think that's the case. Let me give you an example. This is an example that we have in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do so. The link's down below. As an example, let me use Conor McGregor. He fought Dustin Poirier three times. One time way back 2014, about nine years ago, and he knocked out Poirier. Round one. Knocked him out. Looked good. And they did a rematch a few years ago, that you recall. And Conor was on a rough streak, had lost a few fights, was like one in three in his last four. But the Conor faithful, Conor, Conor. And we all know Connor, by the way, has changed since he became a very wealthy man from the Floyd Mayweather fights to the liquor company. That's okay. It changes people. The grind is not, you know, you're not welcoming that grind of the gym as much. 
making money, you know? So when he came and rematched Poirier a few years back, people were betting on Connor like he's still Connor. He was a minus 310 favorite. He was very favored. A guy who's, you know, doing celebrity boxing matches, messing around. And he, of course, gets knocked out in round two by Poirier. Okay, whatever it happens. They rematch the very next fight for Connor. He rematches Dustin Poirier. We know about the ankle. And we could categorize that as a fluke thing, but he didn't make it out of round one. <laughs> and he was, he was priced at a plus 110 dog in that spot. You see, the market had still been on his side. People, the emotions, the nostalgia of what he used to be. You know, we've all experienced it. We, we bet on these fighters or forget about fighters, basketball, football, Tom Brady, tennis, the names, the, the Djokovic's, you know, the, the people that you, you, you recognize. The Serena, when Serena played her last tournament, people were betting on her just because, you know, it's, it's a nostalgia. You, maybe they have that one more, you know, it's in them. And of course, Dustin Poirier beats him again and, you know, it's an ankle thing, whatever. <clears throat> At plus 110, Connor clearly was priced incorrectly because the market was driving that line. The market's driving this line, guys. The market is driving the line. There's no question if this was anybody else coming off of this layoff, they're going to be the underdog against a guy who's been active, who looks good, who's got tools, who's a freak of nature physically. So I'm here to tell you, don't let this, don't let this fool you. Don't, don't think it's John Jones of 2014 or 15 when he beat Cormier. That's what people did when they bet on Connor against Dustin Poirier. Like, oh, he knocked him out, man. Remember that? Yeah, it was a long time ago. Different guy, different fighter. Anyway, I think the money line here is being driven by that thought process. As for Cyril Gaon, physically, he is an anomaly. Freak of nature, a robot. Pieced together by the best of scientists to create the most amazing physical specimen that could probably run through a wall, could be an NFL tight end. Uh, he could probably play five positions in the NFL. He could probably be a linebacker, tight end. He could probably even sub in as a tackle sometimes, D-end. The guy's a freak of nature. On a track, he probably could run multiple different events in track and field. Shot put would be one of them. <laughs> the javelin. <laughs> Anything that involves power, this guy can do it. And speed. He's way quicker than most of his opponents. Now, John Jones is fast too, so we are going to recognize the fact that he's not fighting a slow heavyweight. When it comes to speed, though, this man has got the speed of a lightweight, the power of an ox, and the technique of a chemist. He's almost the perfect heavyweight creature. Almost. There's a butt there. Gon's only blemish was his frustrating defeat to Ninganu last year. So he's 11-1 because of that fight. Ninganu came in with a knee injury. Rumors circulating before the fight. He ended up wearing some uh, knee stuff. Like Ninganu wore like a a knee strap or whatever, just a blanket over his knees on both of them. Because of that, he takes the fight to the ground. We can see three free, three rounds of, of wrestling, basically. A very boring fight. Gon comes up short, a little tired in the fight, frustrated, can't avoid the wrestling, can't get back up. We see one of the weaknesses in his game. That is important to note here. If, let's say, John Jones were to catch round three-ish, four-ish, five-ish chances to do some wrestling with Gon and get him to the ground, Cyril Gaon is a good fighter. Doesn't have nearly the rest resume, though, in terms of wrestling that John Jones does, right? So if anything, we learned that Gaon has a weakness there. It's the wrestling department. He's going to have to be careful of that in the future. Gaon's most effective when he works at range, man. His striking is fast. It's sharp. He has a variety of kicks and superb footwork, especially for a big man. The footwork is impressive. 
Defensively, he's very sound. He won't take risks. I think he uses a defensive-minded strategy when he's fighting. That's part of his personality. I think it's also part of the the way that his his coach is coaching him. You know, sort of the directive. So that could be to a fault. I think it'll be to a fault at points in this fight, and it has in prior fights as well, where he is okay with winning rounds just by landing more strikes and not getting hit at all. Is it a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. It's a heavyweight division. You know, you want to see the guy who's hitting people and doesn't mind getting hit. You know what I mean? It, it's um, Fans want the guy who's going to give them a fight. A little blood, a little gory. That is not Gone. Gone is a very defensive-minded fighter. He prefers to stick and move like a butterfly. That's what he prefers to do. He utilizes a very low-risk game plan that limits his exposure. If he can stay at distance the entire time and just jab you and move and kick you from distance, he'll do it. No knockout, he's fine. Judges, judges can give him the win. He's okay with that. We're not faulting him from employing that strategy. It's fine. It is the business of entertainment, okay? This could be a huge problem after this fight because I'm saying to you, I think Gon wins, right? But it's a win by touch and go. You're going to hear the boo birds by round two or three. He's going to get the microphone at the end of the fight and say, oh, I, don't, I don't know why everyone is so upset to me. I'm from France and uh, I'm out here fighting and I've, I'm champion. So please uh, respect my belt. And people are like, they, they, because, dude, you went out there and peppered for five rounds. When he fought Tuavasa, there was a moment. He got knocked down. We were like, oh, we're, you know. And then he knocks out Tuavasa. It was exciting. But that's not how he wants to fight. And if John Jones comes in patient at first, just to sort of measure distance for the first two rounds, we can see a very uneventful first two rounds, at least. You know what I mean? The fans are not going to be happy if Gon wins this fight, because I don't see it by Gon like knocking out John Jones and choking him out or something. Here's a guy who's never been finished. Not active, but never been finished. So we're saying we're saying Gon wins the fight. <laughs> we're also saying the fans are not going to be happy with the results here, especially from an entertainment perspective. And I think at some point, side note, I think Dana White gets involved, has the meeting with Gon if he hasn't already had that meeting, and just point of fact says to him, listen, off the record, like off the record, no one's recording this right now, if you don't start getting some finishes, we're going to strip you of the belt. We'll find a way. Okay, we'll find a way. We're going we're to take that belt off your ass and put it on someone who actually wants to fight. It's going to get to that point. The heavyweight title is at a crossroads here. Most fans would prefer John Jones to capture the title in an exciting fashion and then go on like a, a run where he fights two times a year, maybe three times a year. An active John Jones who fights a few times a year would be better for everyone. For the fans, the UFC, wallets, bankroll, bookies, everyone would love that. Now, for the purposes of this fight, an exciting finish by John Jones is probably the best case scenario for the UFC, right? Something where he's spinning, flying, I don't know, kick or some ninja shit or jumps on the back of gone and gets a submission of some kind, some kind of exciting finish. Whereas an uneventful decision win for gone is going to be a Debbie Downer. It's going to be a letdown. The live crowd is bound to make sure that the fighters know how they feel. It's going to be in front of a live crowd. It'll be in Vegas. People are going to be all liquored up. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the fight going over two and a half rounds, which sits at minus 300. That'll be a parlay piece for you. Fight starts round four at minus 235. Fight goes a distance at minus 140. And gone by decision at plus 300. We're also going to sprinkle the gone by split at plus 950. And Jones by a split at plus 750. Just because it's main event. We're seeing a decision. Maybe you got a judge out there who's like, I don't care what happens. If it goes to the decision, I'm giving it to John Jones. <laughs> Maybe you have that judge. Who knows? 
So split decision calls, what we're going for here. Uh, maybe you got two judges who say, no matter what happens, split decision, whatever we're going for is John Jones. Anyway, guys, that's your breakdown. A little bit long-winded. As a reminder, if you want to look at our breakdown notes for this fight, that has like pros and cons, fighter stats, striking numbers, strikes absorbed, wrestling stats. That's all available on our Google Drive. That link is down below. If you click that link, it'll take you to a, a web page, whatever, Google Drive web page, totally free. And there'll be a folder that says UFC 285. You open that folder, you'll see fight note breakdowns for each individual fight, along with an Excel sheet. In the Excel sheet, tons of data, hours and hours of research right there for you at the click of a finger. There's also a section on the right side of the Excel sheet that has a ton of links, about four or five fights deep for each fighter where you can click on the links and actually watch prior fights with them. Those are the fights that we studied to do this breakdown. And then one more thing, in the folder there's a tip sheet. So when the tip sheet is done, which is usually by around Wednesday or Thursday through the, throughout the week, that tip sheet will be available for you with all of our bets we're placing for UFC 285. And then of course, subscribe to our newsletter to get all this information as well. It arrives via newsletter format, written breakdown, links to the things we're talking about right now. Uh, reminder to catch us on our podcast as well. There's also podcast eligible. So if you have a podcast or you listen to podcasts, you can hear this on our podcast. And then um, also getting our tip sheets as well through our newsletter, totally free. It's run through Substack. There's an app for Substack. Enough is enough. Let me move on. We'll wrap things up here after the main event. All right, boys and girls, we are now gonna enter the outro version of this video. We're gonna summarize a few things for you, give you all the picks we like, we're also going to give you our swift pick segment, which means all the picks within about a minute, their method of victory, and who's going to win the fight. I'll also give you a few plugs before we get out of here. So thank you so much for staying with us. We appreciate your time, and we hope you like the content. We're going to start off here with the first fight in the card. Play him card. We like Esteban Robovix to win by decision. We like Damon Blackshear to win by decision. Tabitha Rishi to win the fight by decision. Cameron Saman to win the fight by round three knockout. Ian Gary to win the fight by a second round knockout. Mark Andre Barriot to win the fight into the distance. Via, uh, Viviana Araji, excuse me, to win the fight by decision. We like Drakus Duplessis to win the fight into the distance at minus 110. Cody Garbrandt to win the fight into the distance. Bo Nickel to win the fight into the distance. Jalen Turner to win the fight into the distance. Shabka Rachmanov to win the fight by submission in round two. The Valentina Shevchenko to win the fight into the distance. Cyril Gaon to win the fight by decision. That's your breakdown, all your picks, method to victory for UFC 285, Swift Picks. All right, guys, on a serious note, thank you for staying with us. If you haven't done so already, please like the video, subscribe to our channel, support our content. That's how you can support us. Not a donation, not your money, not a, not a subscription, not a Patreon, not a paywall. Support our content by liking and subscribing to our video. And if you really like our content and you want more information, subscribe to our newsletter. That link's down below. Full breakdowns written format. You got tons of tools there, Excel sheets and breakdowns and Word documents. It's all there for you. Subscribe to our subject newsletter. That link's down below. We'll see you guys soon. We're looking to go five weeks in a row. Can we do it? We'll see you soon.